Quarter to Three Movie Podcast is brought to you by AMC Theaters. We come to this place for magic. We come to AMC Theaters to love, to cry, to care, because we need that, all of us. That indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim and we go somewhere we've never been before. Not just entertain, but reborn, together. Dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Sound that I can feel. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Our heroes feel like the best part of us, and stories feel perfect and powerful. Because here, they are. AMC Theaters. We make movies better. One, two, three, not only you and me, got Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, or tell you what, you cannot hear it, but the Brittany is playing in the background because we're going back to 2023. We're going to look at our top ten movies for the year. Why is that Brittany related? Uh, three by three. Come All on, right. how do you not remember the Brittany? Uh, Good point. So I am here, by the way, my name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand does 2023. I I know we're uh, about a little over a week out of 2023, but did it have a tagline? I fell asleep 23 minutes into Jim Carrey's The Number 23. That's a a pretty deep cut, Kelly Wand, but I'll accept it. Um, I think it's a little bewildering because it didn't come out last year. Although it should have. Because remember the Omen remake came out on June 6, 2006. Isn't there another six, Omen six, remake six. like barreling down the pike? Yeah. Bike? There's oh a new God. one. It's a chick. It's a, it's, I think it's a... Um, oh, the possessee is a woman? The little kid is a woman? Yeah. It's, a, it's, she's not possessed. She's the daughter of the devil. Oh, fair point. She's fair into point. it. Right, right. She's a consenting <laughs> devil spawn. Do we know who's As opposed to Linda it? Blair. Someone dumb. Okay, nothing's good it. anymore. Well, there were so you say nothing's good anymore. Kelly Wan, when we decided to do our top ten from last year, I was struggling. I meant reboots and like, blockbusters. I meant reboots and blockbusters aren't really good. Well, that yeah, yeah, but even like I when I sat down to do this list, I was having a hard time coming up with ten because over the course of the year, I had not been watching movies with that in the back of my head, the way we right. would when we were recording. Um, but once I sat down, oh my God, a floodgate. There were a ton of, like I had a hard time whittling it down to 10. Did you? Yeah, thanks to you. Like you told me some stuff to watch and then it knocked off Fast 10 and uh, a couple other things. Wow, you had Fast at Will. Okay, I mean, I, Kelly Wand, I feel bad about this. Well, you know, we'll get into it. Um, and then afterwards, what we're going to do, we do our top 10. And Rebel 10. Moon, it knocked off. Oh, that's Go too on. bad. So if you could tell us best performance of the year was in no, Rebel I didn't Moon. See that shit. Yeah. What um, kind of idiot would watch Rebel Moon, is what I ask. Uh, I'm raising my hand, Kelly Wand. I know. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the what we're going to do, like I just have one of the listeners know. Uh, normally, we do a podcast about a specific movie, and we are very liberal with spoilers. We're going to try, and it's very difficult for us, I realize, to be a spoiler-free discussion. Basically... Wait, real quick. Yes. I want to uh, ask the listeners, like, I want to do the Beekeeper as the next podcast, because I think it'll be a funny opsis, but Tom thinks that's beneath us and not even worth talking about. So. Um, oh, I didn't say that. No, my only point was, uh, 
if we're going to do now full movie podcast episodes... You want to do something more interesting. Well, Kelly One, we're about to talk about up to 25 movies that I think would probably be better to podcast than The Beekeeper. Yeah, but The Opsis will be funny. And sure. you can't have... This is the prestige podcast, and then we usually follow it up with some, about something dumb to like kind of lighten it up, you know? Sure, sure. Well, let, they'll know. Well, let us, is, mate, let's see who they agree with. Because I actually don't feel strongly, to be honest. But um, And I haven't seen The Beekeeper yet, so you might be smart. and I might I, I'm fine. just saying, would you rather do The Beekeeper or whatever movie you picked as your number one for 2023? I personally, uh, it's one of those ones where I'd, I'd rather do The Beekeeper Opsis and then... And then oh. after the opsis is over, I'll feel really dumb because then we have to talk about the beekeeper. Kelly Wand, I am confident that anyone listening to this podcast would be happy for, for like, if you see a movie and think it's opsis worthy, uh, it, I, as far as I'm concerned, we should sit down and do it. So, yeah, that's not an issue for me. It just I looks like an easy one. I don't know what it is. I'm confusing it with the bricklayer, the Aaron Eckhart thing that just came out. It's streaming uh, online. But Kelly One, let's save that for later podcasts. Okay, sorry. So what we're going to do today is we want to talk about these movies in a spoiler-free context, <laughs> and we don't want to reveal anything that you wouldn't otherwise know if, say, you had watched the trailer. So if you're like us and you don't watch trailers, even that might be too much, and we do apologize, but we'll be uh, far more spoiler-free than we normally are. Uh, the movies that we're talking about, they did not require a theatrical release, but they did have to be released in the U.S. in 2023 on some platform, uh, either cinematic or streaming. Uh, and then finally, we'll do a top 10. We will both pick a most surprising, a most disappointing. And then in honor of our former podcaster, Christian Morosky, uh, Dingus was always, he had this idea that in the course of watching movies, in one year, you might have a favorite thingy that you focused on, whether it was a gesture or a costume or a setting or, you know, raging at the lighting in an education, uh, whatever it is. One's that was ice, the weather. Or the weather, yeah, whatever it was that set Dingus off about Carrie Mulligan in that movie, right. Why is it raining? Right. <laughs> so we'll pick one of those and then... And it's only, this occurred, like, Kelly Wand and I, Dingus obviously isn't here, but Kelly Wand and I will guess what we think Dingus would have chosen as his number one movie of the year at the very end. So, why don't we start, Kelly Wand, with you telling the listeners what is your number 10 movie of 2023 and why? Uh, my number 10 is The Holdovers. Um, because... Uh, I like movies where um, guys who are really skinny and smart ass are considered sexually attractive, which I think is a lost thing. Like, I think I was born a little too late. Kelly Wand, um, I did see a lot of you in Angus Tully. Right? I didn't get kicked out of schools. I was much craftier than that. But I was doing a lot of, I would blow up toilets and shit. I was kind of rubbish. So the holdovers made my top five. That was my fifth favorite of the year. Uh, it's an Alexander Payne movie. Kelly, I want to see if you agree with me on this. The premise is, ba it's basically Alexander Payne's The Shining. In that, <laughs> you have these characters holed up in a, a boarding school that's been shut up for the holiday break. 
all the heating has been shut down, so they're forced. There's a black cook, and they're and they're forced into this um, this uncharacteristic intimacy amongst the characters uh. just because of the setting they're in. Uh, the difference is Alexander Payne didn't make a horror movie; he made a I don't know what to call this Kelly Wand without making it sound like some Hallmark movie of the week or a melodrama. How would you describe They're both redemption this? arcs, too. It what? They're both redemption arcs. Oh, Shining and Holdovers. Yeah. Um, and, but the thing is, you hate redemption, yet you still put Holdovers on your list. How do you square that circle, Kelly Wand? Um, it's the same thing as Barbie, where I know I'm not the target audience, but I just kind of buy into the mythology. Or like a Marvel movie. Or if I'm going to watch Spy Kids with like a kid, it's like, oh, yeah, I hope they like it. I want to heavily disagree it. with you, Kelly Wand. I think the reason that you are willing to accept this redemption arc, certainly the reason that I am, the reason that um, Holdovers is really good about avoiding being maudlin, I, I think. That's one mostly. thing. Yeah, mostly. And, and uh, it, it's maudlin only sparingly. <clears throat> and generally when characters are drunk, too, by the way. It's maudlin when characters uh, break down their social inhibitions and drink too much. Um, I'm thinking especially of... Uh, divine joy rant oh my god i'm getting so much into spoiler territory too i know i was gonna <laughs> say a couple things <laughs> well i was trying to like i was like looking at my notes and going i'm trying to think of a non-spoiler way to discuss this Here, here's what i would say um i remember watching sideways which was my favorite movie of that year many years ago it was alexander payne with paul giamatti yep. in the lead role and i remember talking to my aunt who uh, obviously she's older than me. She's a very traditional Arkansas woman. Uh, and I remember Big Nancy telling me, yeah, I saw Sideways, but I just didn't like any of those characters. And, <laughs> and me thinking, well, that's a, that's a valid comment. I can see that. I can see why that might alienate you. I feel that my aunt Big Nancy would have hated holdovers for the same reason. Because for the most yeah. part, even though there are, as we would call them, redemption arcs perhaps, um, Angus Tully and um, Paul Hunnam, the two main characters, never have to sacrifice their intense unlikability. Yeah, um, and I think that makes a difference. It doesn't. It doesn't try to make the characters palatable to the audience. Well, also Mary's sympathetic. She is very and, yeah, uh, and that the guy, the custodian guy, is good. And Kelly Wan, that woman, by the way, she is a stage actress from Philadelphia, and it shows. Yeah. She was so good. Like, you can, the scenes where she's not, she doesn't have dialogue, watching her yeah. face. My God, I was, I just was so amazed at her performance. I love that woman. She was also yeah. in um, the third season of Only Murders in the Building. Um, yeah. They didn't give her that much to do, but yeah, she's amazing. Uh, I love actors who can act without dialogue. Yeah, it's really yeah. impressive to me. Yeah. Um, so here's the other part thing. of its natural talent. And it's, it's such a, a richly kind of realized period piece too. Uh, yeah. Like this, oh. this Kelly Wand is what the world looked and sounded like when you yeah. and I were little kids. Um, when we were babies. Yeah, but even like I love the way that it invoked very subtly, but um, clearly, the fact that Vietnam was hanging over the heads of all these boys. Yeah. They had to make life decisions based on the draft. 
Right, That's exactly. Do, when Tolley has a line about having to go to military school, he plays it out. He says, if I get kicked out, I'll have to go to military school, and then you know. And the yeah. you know, which he says, and he doesn't have to, it's clearly going to get killed in Vietnam. <laughs> I mean, and, and they only, yeah. like, the, the word Vietnam <laughs> is maybe said twice in the movie. It's not like a big deal. But even though the setting is this cloistered up boarding school in snowy, idyllic Massachusetts, you know, you're aware that around the world, the Vietnam War is has its impact. Well, and the guy in the restaurant and the whole notion that every time anyone sees yeah. kids from the college, they're like, oh, those rich yep. assholes who don't have to go and die. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Also, I read that um, Dominic Sessa, the guy who plays Angus, um, he didn't know how to dial a rotary phone. So he had well, to he come, no kids his age would, right? Like, yeah. when have they ever seen one? How would they right. even know about mm-hmm. a handset for a, a rotary phone? Even? Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious to me. Yeah. They always seemed kind of weird when we were using them. Like, this is the design we're going with? Like, you can't... Oh, cool, push buttons have been invented. Yeah, this makes more sense. Right, 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 yeah. All right, but so... Also, oh, yes, yes. I just wanted to ask you a couple questions without spoiling anything. Sure, about sure. It. And this, Kelly Wan, by the way, I would love to talk to you for an hour about holdovers rather than a beekeeper. I'm happy to do beekeeper, but my God, imagine the discussion we could have spending an hour on holdovers. But, but yes, yeah. I, I would gladly answer questions. Go well, ahead. you haven't seen the beekeeper yet. You may go, holy shit, fuck holdovers. I don't even know what it is. Is it a Matthew Vaughn thing? Why do I think it's a Matthew Vaughn thing? Uh, I started to watch a review of it because I go, ah, we're not going to do it. And then I turned it off like within seconds because you know, it just made me want to do it more. Okay. Well, anyway. It was uh, a negative review. It was like. So oh, you had this... questions about holdovers though. Oh, I was going to say, um, well, maybe observations slash questions, but sure. like, okay, I'm going to be trying non-spoiler here. Um, isn't that, isn't Angus too skinny to steal an item at the event? And then later, he gives it to someone after that character Kelly Wand, you've says stuff a to plot him. Hole. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like he, and then he gives it to him after the you have other, other character kind of traumatizes him, right, right, right. with a line. Yeah, and then it's answer like, that one. Do you have other questions about holdovers? Maybe. No, that's answer. my only note. Okay. I have a note on Barbie too. <laughs> Uh, holdovers, yeah. So, so maybe the, there's a plot hole involving inventory management. Yeah, fair point. And it it really Wood. stood out to me, and it's a major plot point. It's not like a nothing. My like it's number, something that governs the characters' fates. So, right. Anyway. So, Kelly, Wan, my number ten movie of the year is a movie. I love this title. I started watching this movie. The opening of this movie is terrible, and. While watching this movie, the opening happens. I was like, oh my God, this is so dumb. I'm going to end up turning this off in 15 minutes, I'm sure. I didn't. It was a provocative movie. And then about halfway through, the significance of the opening scene becomes clear. And I went from thinking, oh my God, this movie is so dumb, to thinking, whoa, that's insane. This is brilliant. So this is a horror movie. And I'm embarrassed to admit, I mean, I guess... I should probably own this as a horror fan, but almost half of my picks are horror movies this year. Ah, sweet. I like it. Yeah. So my number 10 is called There's Something Wrong with the Children. Ah, I loved it. Loved so it. Yeah, yeah. the director's a woman named Roxanne Benjamin. 
Uh, I know her from a horror anthology called Southbound. Um, I think this is her first feature film. Monica from Silicon Valley is in it. That's exciting. Yes, Monica from um, Silicon Valley. Actually, I didn't. I recognized her. The other three actors I didn't recognize, but I really liked mm. the four main principal actors. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's a cosmic horror, I would call it, um, yeah. about love, sex, reproduction, families, and relationships. You know, most cosmic horror is about some lonely professor who discovers eldritch knowledge and goes insane or whatever. I love that this is cosmic horror about families and relationships. Um, and I, I love that that goofy opening midway through really does, like you realize, oh, that's what that means. That's why this is important. Um, so right. that was my 10th favorite. Kelly, why you did see it, right? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I saw it right after Megan, which you hated and I thought was fine entertainment. But there's something wrong with the children was definitely better. Than yeah, yeah, yeah. Megan, Megan is kind of an evil kid movie. It's a wacky comedy. Megan, I yeah. did, I, I did discover. Well, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Megan did not make my top ten list, though. I'm afraid. Um, no. So Kelly Wan. It needs an R rating for, to make my top. Oh my god! Five. Yeah, it was a PG. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kelly Wan. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say there's something wrong with the children. Was. Uh, no, I really like the main. Um, I like. I think I'm drawn to weak male protagonists. Yes, yes, Kelly Wand. Uh, yes, it's very much about kind of isolating. I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, <laughs> but it does. There's something wrong with the children. Um, like I think the female lead is obviously the female lead, but the yeah. male lead who looks very dashing, who you think, oh, that's going to be our hero. The movie just thoroughly emasculates him, like yeah. violently and dramatically. Um, and and that, the monsters toying with him. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, there are conversations too <laughs> between the human being and the cosmic horror. And I just yeah. love, like, any writer who would be ballsy enough to think, "Yeah, I can write dialogue for some cosmic horror." Like, I admire that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and it makes it it's, it's frustrating in a way because you go just say this idiot what the fuck's wrong with you or take the pill bottle or you know what i mean i mean because you're thinking what would i do in that case right right yeah yeah but, but the problem is this protagonist is doubting his sanity which is right, part right, of right. cosmic horror as well and he has issues and the monster knows exactly how to do right, it. Right, right. like and we don't know its abilities like it seems to play with time and stuff so He's, he's completely, it's, it's a really, it's a super one-sided matchup, like another of the movies yep. on this list that I'm sure you have. All right, well, Kelly Wand, why don't you tell me your ninth favorite movie of 2023? This one I owe to you, because you told me to watch it. Okay. Um, and so last weekend, I watched a ton of stuff, and this was one of them. Um, and I was really, I was really into it, so thanks for turning me on to it. It was called Chile 76. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about it? Why is it your ninth favorite movie? Uh... I don't think I've seen a Chilean movie before. So it had that. And I always go, oh, that's the one that's all beach, right? And there's a ton of beaches in the movie. So, yeah. <laughs> all beach. I love that. That's, a, that's an apt description of Chile. Fair. Yeah. Um, and it felt like um, it felt like a, I, it was like uh, the holdovers and that it felt like a period piece. It and, is a period um, piece. That movie is not called Chile, by the way. You know what that movie's called? 
Chile 76? It's actually called 1976. That's the right, title right, right, card. Yeah, the third, um, yeah. But for dumb Americans, for 1976, they'll think it's about, oh, bicentennial celebrations. You know, right. Whereas in no, Chile, in, in yeah. the country of Chile, 1976 means something means very something. different because that was under the reign of, of Pinochet. Yeah. yeah, that's their 2024, Tom. Or 2016. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> Kelly Wan, stop jinxing things. I'd like to say a line that I think the main character of Chile 76 should have been thinking during that movie. Okay. Um, at least I'm not in new order. So Michelle Franco is a Mexican filmmaker. Uh, he did a movie that we've talked about and that I think we both love called Sundown. Uh, yeah. Before Sundown, he did this really lurid, violent, I would call it a horror movie, about yes. a coup d'etat called The New Order. Yeah. And 1976, Chile 76, is kind of, Michel Franco is a very aggressive filmmaker. And it's full of like painterly um, images, which by the way, yeah. Chile 1976 is as well, but much more tastefully and subtly. I feel yeah. like Michel Franco is way over the top with the violence and the color. Um, so to me, because 1976, Kelly Wand, was my second favorite movie of the year. I adore yeah. that movie because it reminds me, for, 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 for a couple of reasons. One, I love as a period piece, like The Holdovers, how richly but subtly realized it is as, as being set in 1976, specifically yeah. Chile. Um, but I also love how it recalls filmmaking from the 70s. It feels yeah. to me like a lost Polanski movie, almost. Um, there's this, yeah. this um, just powerful, sinister undercurrent running through that entire movie uh, in a way that Michel Franco, with all of his violence and rape and murder and color, like he... Even all that over-the-top stuff, I just feel like what Manuel Martelli, the director of 1976, did is ultimately more powerful than all the aggressive stuff that Michel Franco did in New Order. So, Kelly Wand, I am very glad that you called out that parallel. Yeah, it's creeping sense of dread. And it's more realistic. Like, New Order is like, fuck yeah. It's just like... Yeah. It's super brutal, and that's kind of the point. And New it's Order sort of is like kind a, of like a... Like it's like an Orwell punk. novel, kind of. Yeah, it, it's very punky, too. Like, in your Yeah, face and I, by the way, I love New Order. I do, too. I do, too. Yeah. Just to clarify, yeah. I'm not ripping on um, it. Um, but this also... So this is also Kelly Wand. Um, this gets at... And I don't want to get into semantic weeds, but I would consider 1976 a horror movie in that... It chiefly preys on your anxiety yeah. about what is going to happen to um, uh, Aline Kupenheim, the main character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, and it's 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 a very stressful movie to watch for that reason, um, because there's a part in the well, yeah. Go ahead. Especially if you know what happened to those people who go missing in Chile in the in, during Pinochet's reign, and that set up the very first scene. Is basically setting up that people are going missing. So the very yeah. first scene makes it clear that this is a threat threatening our protagonist. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's happening outside, and everyone's kind of... Um, this is something I really liked about it that's a little... Uh, I guess it's true in the order, too, but in this, it's, it's definitely... Like, everyone's sort of tuning it out, like, like carefully. Like, don't even talk about it. Like, at a dinner table, yep. someone will say the wrong thing. Or uh, or on the boat, that little exchange between the wife. So I guess we should tell people, the, the premise of 1976 uh, is an upper-class Chilean woman. She's married to a rich and successful hospital administrator. Um, uh, she is repairing to the family vacation home to get it prepped for the holiday season. Um, and when she goes out there ahead of her husband, who has to stay behind for work for a while, uh, the local priest approaches her because he knows that she had done some Red Cross volunteer work. And he asks her to see a wounded boy who is obviously hiding from the authorities. So yes. that's the initial setup. And then what happens, obviously, is she is getting entangled with a situation that would get her arrested. And since this is a movie about basically a grandmother, we are watching her also involve her grandchildren, her children, her husband, her, her son-in-law. Um, it's not like some lone person running afoul of fascism. This is an entire family through their grandmother getting caught up in the reign of, what, of Pinochet and all of those horrors. Yeah. Um, and you don't know when it's going to happen or what's going to happen. So yeah, it's it, one of those kind of movies. Because it so has really, it's like slow rhythms kind of. It is very, rhythm. I would call it artfully sinister. Yeah. Uh, like with the music, yeah. with, the way that, with the way it's shot, with the color. It opens, yeah. by the way, like, like New Order, it opens, uh, and yeah. also like Triangle of Sadness, it opens with someone playing with paint. Yes. Uh, and I just love that as a metaphor. And yeah. it very tastefully recalls it at a certain point. Doesn't hit you over the head with the imagery. Kelly Wand, I, I learned Spanish for uh, 1976. Really? Yep. The entire language? No, just one phrase. Do you, you want to hear it? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Hold on. Abuela Caliente. Hot grandma? Kelly yeah. Wand, you That's... know Spanish. Well, that's the only Spanish I know because it comes in, in handy a lot in my personal life. But isn't Aline Kupenheim like, oh, my God, like I, she is so freaking hot, right? Yeah. That's not just mm -hmm. me. Yeah. And for a grandma, too. Oh, my God. Like they do have to set up that she had been in the Red Cross during World War Two. So right. I appreciate, you know, you can work out her age. Uh, but, oh, my God, amazing genes in that. So woman. she knows the ropes, Tom. That she does, Kelly Wand. Literally. Kelly Wand, my number nine movie from 19... I'm sorry, from 2020. Not from 1976. Wow. 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 That would have been Jaws, by the way. Oh. It would have carried over into 76. Um, oh, right. My number nine movie is called Sanctuary. Ah. Sanctuary is... Uh, there was a thread on the forum about it where I, I wrote more. But I'll just tell you, I'll, Sanctuary is an insanely profane, seductive, and titillating dance between two actors yeah. brimming with otherworldly talent, one of whom is Margaret Qualley. Um, I guess we know her from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's that Spike Jones Kenzo video. 
Uh, she's um, Andy McDowell's daughter. The other actor is, oh, is Christopher right. Abbott. Um, hmm. And this is basically a two-man fight, dance, fuck, uh, fuss. Uh, like, it's, it's basically them in a room playing out their relationship uh, over the course, uh, in real time. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I loved it. So that was my number nine. Uh, and I feel quali- Margaret Qualley, like I, I even watched a couple of Margaret Qualley movies that were terrible just because of this one. Um, I just love her so much. Did you see it, Kelly One? Yeah, I loved it. It oh. didn't make my list. It was on my list for a while, and then it got crowded out. But I yeah. really liked it. I love movies that take place in a single night. That always sucks me in. Yep, yep. Um, and I love, too, how open and, and raw, it, like, like it's so unabashed about its kinks. Yeah. Uh, and I just love that in a movie. I could see plenty of people watching it and thinking, well, what's up with these weirdos? I don't get this. Um, but I, I did. I love that it's that it, it, it reveals these inner truths about these very guarded characters who are so used to playing roles in real life. Um, yeah. So Sanctuary is my number nine. I think my only issue with it was, yes. um, and maybe this has to do with just preconceived notions of movies but like when i realized what kind of movie it was i go oh it's going to be an interesting matchup and then as it wore on i go actually this isn't an interesting matchup it's very one-sided um oh that was the other matchup yeah it is very one-sided but kelly wand yeah and i don't understand that kink like i get a lot of kinks but like that one is like what What i can't talk about sanctuary without spoilers especially because part of what i love about sanctuary is how it addresses what you're talking about that whole i don't get that kick i'm with you too i don't understand dominatrixes like that's not my bag i don't want to shame anyone who is into that sort of thing but it reminds me, my favorite movie from a couple of years back was um, Julia Ducourneau is a, a French horror director who did Raw. And she did a movie called Titane a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Titane, to me, it explained to me in a way that helped me understand gender dysmorphia. Because I'm, mm. I'm a man, I'm very comfortable in my identity as a man. Um, but I do know that there are people who that either for it's their kink or it's a biological drive it's or trendy. it's even, even a pathology for some people. It feels that way. Yeah. But seeing Titane was a perspective on that issue. Like, I feel like Julia Ducourneau wanted to tell a metaphor about gender dysmorphia, about gender confusion. I, I'm sure I'm using a very insensitive word for it. But... That movie helped me understand, uh, uh, and I don't want to call it a kink because now I feel like I'm trivializing it, but it helped me understand something. It gave me a perspective on something that I never understood, and that's the fluidity between male and female identity. Um, And she did it with this amazing horror movie. I feel, Kelly Wan, that Sanctuary does something similar about dominatrixes. I still don't get that kink. But the lens through which that movie played showed me a different perspective on it. Huh. 
Yeah, right. I don't get gender dysmorphia either. It's I feel bad for those people. Oh, I do it's, too. I do it's too. Very and I foreign have, to me. I have an enormous amount of like, um, like sympathy for it, and I like, like, like move. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I know what it's like. Everybody knows what it's like to be ashamed and confused, and my heart goes out to anyone for whom the people for whom their love is clouded with shame and confusion like who they yeah. love who they're attracted to it's got to be a terrible thing for someone to suffer um, and in a way i extend that to somebody who their sexuality requires a dominatrix like that's got to be difficult yeah. um, and so, expensive right <laughs> but a movie that makes me that makes me more empathetic towards that uh, I, I just value that perspective. You can find women to be mean to you for free. That's true, right. <laughs> you can do it on the you street. Pay sure. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly Warren. And also, what do you do? I have a, like, what do you do if, um, well, I guess I already answered my own question just now, but like, if you're not super rich and that's your kink, like, are you just screwed? <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Are there Kelly, like cheap versions. Okay. Kelly yes. Warren, what is your eighth favorite movie of 2023? This is the one of, two that will annoy you oh good but yeah 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 it's definitely not on your list because i don't i'm not even sure you finished watching it so which is maybe one but uh do you know what it is just from that description it can't be oppenheimer uh no <laughs> you you didn't finish oppenheimer god i could not get through it kelly one oh my god oh, it felt like i felt like i was later. watching a movie about killian murphy getting laid i don't oh, need you to see that him. bullshit <laughs> I do because again, it's a skinny guy getting laid. Yeah. So to me, I, it's I like, couldn't make ah, it to the atomic he's... bomb stuff. But yeah, if I was going to watch a three-hour movie about a scientist getting laid, uh, yeah. I don't, Hold I don't on, we'll that save that. Much. Save that because we're we'll be getting back into. Oh, oh, sorry. So no, so if you had me guess movies, Kelly Wan, we we probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect you to say any of that. We didn't. We hadn't talked at all about Oppenheimer, so now I'm really excited. Um, but this movie, my number eight, is Bottoms. Oh, I oh, did I finish it or did I just hate watch it? I I, I hated remember. it. However much of it I saw, way too much David Wayne in that. Yeah, and I love David Wayne, and you hate David right, Wayne. Exactly. So. so tell us what it is. It's not a David Wayne movie. Tell us what it is. It's a high school comedy about two lesbians. It's uh, the same. It's the same main actress and director, and I think writer. I don't know if it's the same writer. I should have. I'm a bad researcher. But it's the same team, it feels like, of uh, Shiva Baby. So Shiva Baby was uh, directed and written, I think, by Emma Seligman. And yeah. she recruited an actress named Rachel Sinnott as her main yeah. actress in that. And Shiva Baby is amazing, Kelly Wand. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. why I am so bummed that I hated Bottoms. Because I love it's... both Rachel Sinnott and especially Emma Seligman's writing and direction in Shiva Baby. But when she goes over into farce, it kind of lost me, which is what Bottoms is. Okay, well, A, I liked... Okay, first off, you should always have at least one comedy on your top ten list. I just think it's... Uh, oh, shoot. Oh, I've got one. I've got one. I'm cleared in there. Okay, thank you. Okay, good. Uh, secondly, it's a really... It's a feel-good movie, so it's different. Like, my list sure. is like... They're supposed to complement each other. Like, a little, little of this, a little of that, a little right. paprika. Yep. Uh, I thought it had a really cool premise. It's about two lesbians in high school who decide to start a fight club to in, to basically hit on cheerleaders and, like, hot hot girls at their high school. But then it winds up becoming about lady stuff, 
empowerment. And also, I don't know if you finished watching, I was going to say, it has a really exciting finale. Um, Let me guess, a big football game. Actually, don't tell me because those are spoilers. But yeah, I don't think I did finish watching it. I'm just really bummed movies like this are rare. Like, it's a dark time for movie comedy, and this was like one of the few movies that made me laugh intentionally last year and uh, I, I was really into the characters and the premise and there was a lot of great dialogue and it wasn't like any other movies and it wasn't like shiva baby it was oh totally not like at all which is top. which is one by the way kelly one i i think that bodes well for emma seligman that her yeah. first two movies are so dramatically different yeah yeah it's her free ride movie and there's another free ride movie can i just tell you what i think my main problem is you hate women i can only handle Rachel Sennett in small doses, I think. Although, no, because she's, she's the entirety of Shiva Baby. I was That's just thinking, saying. did you see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Yeah, it was great. I love that as well, and that had the perfect amount of Rachel Sennett for me. So, um, okay, so your case for you can only handle small amounts of her are a movie where she's great the whole way through and a movie where she's not in it much that you also liked. Well, but she's, she's playing, like, in Bottoms... Because Bottoms is an over-the-top farce. Bottoms, Bottoms, Bottoms. No. Bottoms is an over-the-top farce. Um, yeah. Whereas Shiva Baby is much more of a, of a grounded observational comedy. So, and, and Bodies, 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 her character is very farcical. So Rachel Sennett doing an over-the-top farcical character, I guess what I'm saying, I can only take so much of that. Maybe that's Maybe because she was also, in Bottoms, she's kind of the alpha and so maybe you didn't buy her as that, whereas in Shiva Baby, she's always on the edge of a nervous breakdown. Right. Sure. And she's good at that, and her face looks like she's on the edge of a nervous breakdown. <laughs> so maybe you didn't buy her as, like, the one, the Ferris Bueller type. Well, Kelly, one, I like think what we can all agree, what we can all agree on, I have not seen Bottoms. Why? Because I, I didn't watch the whole thing. Unless you watch an entire you, movie. You, you referred to the it. ending a few seconds ago accurately, so I just thought you had seen it. Bottoms? No, I said don't tell me. Because that would be a You sport. said... Oh, it is a football game. See, I mean, I was just guessing because what else would it be? <laughs> I did not make it to the football game. No, right? watch the football game. It's really good. Okay. All right, well, my That's why it's my eight, number eight, Tom. My Go number on. eight, Kelly Wand, is also a comedy. But hmm. it's also a horror movie. Hmm. So once again, half of my movies are horror movies. Um, so my number eight, it's a super R-rated comedic creature feature from Phil Lord... And Chris Miller. Do you know what I'm talking about? Cocaine Bear? Yes. Oh, Kelly it's great, Wan, yeah. I, I saw it on the plane a few weeks ago. It was really good. Yeah, so I love Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Um, it's genuinely horrific creature violence in that movie. Yeah. It's so R-rated, uh, yeah. as, as you might call it, Kelly Wan. It has a number of memorable kills. Um, but another thing that it does... Because it's Lord and Miller, they got Elizabeth Berkeley to direct it. And by the way, I, Thanks, I love... Thanks, fool. Thanks! Oh my god, thank you, Kelly. This ain't showgirls. That's important, Kelly Wand, because one thing that Cocaine Bear did is it made me forgive Elizabeth Banks for what she did to Pitch Perfect in Charlie's Angels. Um. So, Elizabeth, all is forgiven. Keep making movies like Cocaine Bear. Um, but, so, what I was going to say the conceit about the bear getting into cocaine by no fault of her own, uh, I think is a great twist for the movie and it makes it easy to play it as a comedy. It makes it easy to love cocaine bear because it's not her fault. You know, right. she's, she's just, she's basically been 
drugged against her will. It drives her into a killing frenzy. Um, so R-rated mayhem ensues. And by the way, the R-rated mayhem does include children. Yeah, well... Don't you will well, me, Kelly Wand. It does. Well, yes, mm, yes, does yes. I don't Who, want to hear any of your guff. R-rated I, for violence, which involves children. No, yes. I disagree with that. <laughs> All right, Just so dead. That's anyway. my number. But eight. A, a worthy, a worthy final role for Ray Liotta. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Instead well, well, actually, that was the other thing about Cocaine Bear, Kelly Wand. The cast in Cocaine Bear is ridiculously expansive and talented yeah. i loved like even alden Ehrenreich, that poor guy who had to play him solo he was yeah. in another uh i think it was called fair play another power couple movie that kind of reminded me of sanctuary but i could not watch it because that poor guy I, I, I don't people have no idea what to do with him but he was perfect as this whining mope in cocaine bear i loved him in that but, he uh, has an arc, Tom. He has an arc, yeah. But um, Ice Cube's son was in it. Um, the the guy from The Wire, whose name I'm forgetting. Um, who else? Kelly Wand. Oh, oh, Margo Marge, Martindale. Margers. So Marge anyway, Heldon oh, Barger. Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family. Brooklyn yeah. Prince, the little girl from Florida Project. Um, Nerd alert. <laughs> also, by the way, a uh, cocaine bear had the second best chase scene of 2023. Uh, with the ambulance? Yep. Yeah, that was great. I liked it. It's good. I only just saw it a couple weeks ago, so I was like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I heard you. Oh, you there? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. So let's go to your number seven movie for 2023, Kelly Wand. My number seven 2023 movie is Saltburn. All right. Tell us what it is and why you liked it. I think it's, it was never out in theaters, was it? It's just on Amazon, but, um, I think it had a theatrical release. Yeah. You may have to remind me who directed it. How can you forget the name Emerald Fennel? Emerald Fennel. Right, right. Okay. I'm so sorry. What do we know? I knew that, but I'm a little baked. Uh, yeah. Promising young woman. Very good. Director. And so this Mulligan's is our sophomore it, so. feature. Uh, tell us about what it is and why you liked it. I liked it. Well, part of uh, the reason is I didn't know what it was while I was watching it. And so it, it was sort of an unfolding of what kind of movie this was. Because I go, oh, is this about a kid who's obsessed with it? Is this like Sanctuary? And the star of it is Barry Keoghan, the great Barry Keoghan. In I fact, will I told you my review of the movie was... Oh, that fucking Barry Keoghan. And then you went, yup. And then that was kind of like my tagline for Saltburn. That's also um, my review of it. Fucking Barry Keoghan. Or fucking Ke- Barry Keoghan. And I think you just say Kean. Like, I think you're supposed to do some weird Barry Irish Kean. throwaway thing with some of the letters in his last name. I I'll think. do it, but I don't enjoy it. Right. I think Keoghan is, has such a fun ring to it. But maybe that's like saying Siobhan instead of Siobhan. Or Sayoris Ronan or something. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, his presence is a spoiler because you go, well, it's him. So I know certain things are going to fucking go down. So it's us, another matchup movie. Give us uh, the Roseman premise. Pike is in it. Uh, the premise is a kid. Well, a, a very keen Kean Kean is talking to the camera. So it's kind of like Inside Man. Like, where is he talking to you from? And then um, 
he goes to preps no college it's college right it's a fake college is it a real college i think it's like a boarding school or prep school yeah he befriends like a rich student and the rich student invites him to his um his manner it's like yeah, his manner, and it's like a psych. It's a what's their relationship kind of thing, and he ingratiates himself with all the rich fucks. Kelly Wand, would uh, you agree that there's something Dickensian about Saltburn? Oh, very much so. Yeah. All the characters are like grotesque in unique ways, and Rosamund uh, Pike is amazing yeah. in it. Yep, Richard E. Her. Grant. Oh my God! Of course, how could I forget that? Right, looking like Hugh Grant, kind of. Or but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it is kind of an uncharacteristically Hugh Grant role, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and I watched I watched it in two chunks. So after the first chunk, I went, there was a certain scene with a bathtub, and I went, is this movie yada, yada, yada? Oh, my yada? God. I, like, could, I could not watch that scene, by the way. That is where I knew this is a movie for Kelly Wand and not me. Right. <laughs> that scene and seriously then, almost made me vomit. I could not take that. Like, it's pretty gross. But then picture it with, like, a, a character that you would do that with, although... No, Kelly Wand, like there's Jennifer no Lawrence. such thing. You are such a weirdo. We now need to make a movie about you and your bathwater kink. I don't know if that's a kink. I'm just saying... Oh, I'm just... I'm, I'm going to watch this scene anyway. Well, that's not really my kink either. Because he goes all the way to the drain, too. So it's, like, it's not like a sip. But there's those models who bottle their bathwater and they right, sell it right. to simps online. So it's like a known, it's, I guess it's a wider, like if they're even doing that at all, like Amaranth. Kelly Wan, can I just, I don't want to harsh any of your picks because that's not what the top 10 is about. But I cannot stand Emerald Fennel's movies. I hated Promising Young Woman and I loathed Saltburn. I did love Barry Keane's performance. I love watching that kid act. The scene he's got with just him and Rosamund Pike, I could play that on a loop. Um, there's a, the money scene in, <laughs> if, in Saltburn. It involves Barry Keane being completely nude. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The, yeah. I love that sequence. Yeah. And thinking of Saltburn as an excuse to get us to that sequence is the only way I can justify watching Saltburn. Uh, because I love that scene so much. You know, Barry Keane, I just love watching him work. Um, and Kelly Wan, it reminded me of a scene in Holdovers when Angus Tully, when Dominic Sessa's character, gets the keys to the boarding school and just runs around with a flashlight one night. Yeah, like that yeah, same yeah. sensation of being let yeah. loose in a place that's either forbidden or repressive and being able to freely explore it and own it and make it yours. Like just the joy in that scene in the holdovers and in Saltburn. I love those scenes so much, but Kelly Wand, I hate Emerald Fennell's writing and direction. All right, let me say this. I may agree with you because well, to an extent. Hold on, let me qualify that. Sure. Like, Promising Young Woman was sold on the her first scene, which you, you remember, yep. right? Oh, yeah. Can you spell yeah. that yet? And, Promising like, it's, and, and that's Kerry Mulligan for you, by the way. I think it's just yeah. Kerry Mulligan's Imp- awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and she's amazing in it. And then I, mean, I remember hating the end of Promising Young Woman and thinking it was yep. total horseshit. And, like, as the movie went on, it was sort of hit and miss. And it was like, that's weird. The beginning was really good, and the rest of it's not as good. And then when I, I read, oh, she sold the movie based on the first scene, I went, oh, okay. So she's not a great writer. <laughs> this one, 
my issue is it apes a particular Patricia Highsmith character. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think like, that's a spoiler, by the way. I think that's how they sell it. Is that this, no, is a, it, this is a talented Mr. Ripley kind of movie, right? Right. And then she, her response to that was like, oh, no, that wasn't my inspiration at all, which to me is kind of disingenuous because she goes, I love Highsmith. I'm a huge fan of her work. But it's like, you're not going to acknowledge that this is similar to that. Like, oh, you can't right, just do right. that. It's a legal move. Right. So that kind of bothered me. But I, in the moment of the movie, I loved its visual style and I loved the acting and I loved not knowing what was going on. And I thought the dialogue was really good. And at the end, I went, eh, okay, that holds solid. And I, I like the idea of Saltburn as a character. Like, it's sort of a, um, I don't the, know. I think it might be man- an Anglophile. By the way, that's the name of the manor that he goes to. Uh, right. Saltburn is the name of the mansion with the family. Yeah, the way, the scene uh, that the steady cam shot where he's introducing Barry to Saltburn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the blue room. This is the thing. Just giving you a you sense of space. Because like, I always wonder what yeah. those mansions look like on the inside. And I yeah, like, and the idea that a, a rich person's bored by it. And yeah. Like, yeah, and this thing. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. This has a stupid telescope in it. This has a 50 million. These are paintings. Eh, what are, yeah. Here's the other Let's issue, Kelly Wong, and we'll hear more about this when we get into most disappointing movie. I yeah. do not like that. I think his name is Jacob Elandi. He's an Australian guy who plays the, the male love interest. Elordi. I Elordi. I cannot stand that guy. No, he's good in this. You like him? I mean, uh, you, we'll get to it later, but stand by for more on my issues with Saltburn. Wow. It's a Tom thing, I guess. Kelly Wan, my number seven, number seven favorite movie of 2023. Um, it's a movie called Reality. Hmm. Have you seen it? No, you didn't tell me to see it. Yeah, so you me. might... Not the reality you think of that you live in. This is one of those <laughs> movies that gives the title... The title is the character's first name, which is always hmm. confusing to me. Like you know, Midsummer. No, <laughs> like um, like Tommy, like uh, Nancy. Like that's Carrie. my name and my sister's name. They both have movies named that. Like, uh, why don't give a, a first name to your movie? Uh, so reality, unfortunately, it's named after a woman named Reality Winner. Uh, so. It's a weird first name. It's memorable. In this case, I'll allow it. Uh, Reality Winner was uh, arrested in uh, 2018, 2017, thereabouts. Oh, no, before the election, actually. So she would have been arrested around 2015, 2016 uh, for leaking classified material that she felt demonstrated Russian attempts to hack voter registrations in the U.S. when they were trying to, uh, during the 2016 uh, election. So actually, maybe it was afterwards. At any rate, whenever she was arrested, reality is a procedural about the precise moment of her arrest. And it is taken from a play uh, called This Is a Room. Uh, oh no, Is This a Room is the name of the play. Fortunately, the name of the movie is Reality. And the play takes all of its dialogue strictly from the transcripts of reality winners arrest very much like there's a play called charlie victor bravo or charlie victor romeo which is the dialogue is taken strictly from cockpit video recorders before airline accidents um so you're actually in 
This is a Room, or the movie Reality, or the play, which is also, by the way, a telecast, um, the Charlie Victor Romeo thing. When you're just working from a transcript, they'll have the ums and the ahs and the pauses in there. Uh, it gives actors very, very specific things to play with and to insert into the action. Um, so, reality is basically four or five actors recreating the moment when this woman who was just a translator, uh, she lived in Georgia, she translated for a, a government contractor, she'd been taking these documents home with her and then forwarding them to an online news site. One day she comes home from the grocery store and there are two affable, generic-looking men standing on her front door. And as she comes out of her car with her groceries, they flash badges, they introduce themselves, and this is how the movie starts. Hmm. Stand by. Now, and from there, it gets into the particulars um, of she waived her Miranda rights. So basically, she stupidly sat there and talked to the FBI for an hour and a half. Uh, and that's what this movie is, is this poor misguided woman having no sense for the extent of what she's done and maybe even the trouble that she's in, the, the dawning awareness of, of, of this uh uh, like it's her experiencing the dawning awareness that her life is never going to be the same. She's about to be arrested. Uh, it's for a federal crime. FBI agents are dismantling her house. Um, and it's a, in a way, I wouldn't call this a horror movie because instead it's a very fascinating procedural to see how the different agents interact with her, what they say, what they don't say, what they try to get her to say. Uh, all of that is fascinating, but there is almost this horror element as this poor young woman starts to realize the trouble that she's in. Um, so, I'd like to see a movie like that about the Viking helmet, January 6th guy. The shaman, yeah. Yeah, the shaman. <laughs> the thing is, I don't find that guy a sympathetic character. What oh, reality, I don't either. But what reality, oh, this guy, reality is sympathetic? Yeah, what reality does is it really makes clear, I think there was an interest in some political circles to portray reality winner as some uh, Snowden-type crusader. Traitor, traitor. Which she, I think she might have wanted to be, but she was so piss-poor at it. Um, obviously, she, she violated the law, and I have no problem with her being prosecuted. But the extent of what she did is very, very different from things like Ellsberg and Daniel Snowden, certainly Julia Assange. Um, like, uh, she was small potatoes in comparison. Uh, so it's easier to be sympathetic. And the small touches about her that are revealed in these interactions are kind of fascinating. For instance, one of them is she had no security on her own phone. One of the first things the agents do when they serve the warrant is they take their, the, the person's phone away from them. 
Uh, so they have her phone and they're trying to get into it and they're asking her, what's the code? How do I get into this? And she says, oh, I don't, I don't have a code on that. And she's someone whose job is to deal with classified material. And it's right, just kind right, of, yeah. that's just kind of a weird touch. And so Tina, I don't know if I mentioned her name, the, the woman who directed this is named Tina Satter. And she's so good at pulling out little touches like this. Um, there's a moment to me, it's just so, I don't know what, it, I, I just feel so much tenderness at this moment. As we're in Georgia, as the process begins, the FBI agents have flashed their badges. She knows, oh my God, I've got to answer questions about, I know I've been taking things home. I should probably dance around it. Maybe I can still get out of it. At one point, she looks across the street and she sees a toy Confederate truck and has a Confederate flag on it. And it's just a reminder that we're in a place where children play with Confederate flags. <laughs> like, this is Georgia. Do they know what it means, though, or is it just a pretty color well, design? Well, but then later she looks back at it, and now a neighborhood cat wearing a kerchief is sitting in the Confederate truck. Ah. It doesn't mean right. anything. It's just a weird, memorable touch yeah. That, that might have imprinted itself on this young young woman's mind at that time. It's the truck's art. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it's a very keenly observed slice of reality. This this inflection point in this woman's life. Um, Why didn't you tell me to watch this? You told me to watch all the other Well, things. because I, I rewatched it, not realizing. It's just something that I'd be rewatched in, con- in consideration. Because the first time I watched it, never occurred to me I'd be thinking about top 10 movies. Um, guess, by the way, this is what's amazing about it, Kelly Warren. The lead actress who plays reality winner is Sydney Sweeney. Do you know who ah, that is? Right. I keep hearing her name, but I get all the Sweeney's mixed up. So she's, um, well, for a change, she is not playing some super hottie spilling out of her top. <laughs> like... That's normally what she plays. She's a gorgeous young woman. Hang She's on, got I better a phenomenal look her up just body. to make sure I know what you're talking um, about. Yeah. But they really dress her down to play reality winner. Uh, and it works. I mean, and she's so good, by the way. Oh, yeah. I'm very impressed with her performance. Um, also, Yeah, Kelly she's an impressive actress. And do you know who Josh Hamilton is? Do you remember him? No, but I know Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. <laughs> so Josh Hamilton, I think... Wasn't he the dad in eighth grade? Do you remember oh, eighth yeah. grade had the really? He's dis- like the um, what's his name? The guy who was evil against uh, Shia LaBeouf in uh, Suburbia, who played George Washington and John Adams. What's that guy's name? Yeah, yeah, I don't Murns. know that. I don't know who you're talking about. But Josh Hamilton, he's a very mild mannered, and he just right. played the classic loving dad in eighth grade. Yeah. So yeah. he's the lead agent in reality. Ah, nice. Um, and like, it's amazing watching him as an agent trying to make insipid small talk because you know that's his job to keep her distracted while the other agents are, are basically throwing this woman's house upside down. Uh, yeah. And it's just such, a, uh, it's just such a, an unctuous role and. And there's another role credited as um, unknown male. And he's a cop, an FBI agent, who, like, wears the sunglasses around his head looking bad. Like, he's an overweight guy 
who's trying to make himself look like a mercenary. Um, and he just oozes puffed up masculinity. Uh, so, so the different agents and how they offset each other and how they kind of manipulate her. Um, it's just really a fascinating look at what the police or the FBI in this case, uh, their best case scenario for how to interrupt a perp. <laughs> uh, right. All right, Kelly Wand, what is your sixth favorite movie of 2023? Wait, 10, 9, 8. Yeah, you're right. Uh, my number six is Dream Scenario. Mm. Not on your list, I bet. But I did like it uh, left over. Go on, what is it and why do you like it? Dream Scenario is a Nicolas Cage movie. Um, do I want to des- describe the premise of this? He's a... Um, what does he do? He's a teacher of uh, animal behavior or something at a college. And um, he's uh, and he's another weak male protagonist. And uh, he also... <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, he's... Nick Cage has been reading my diary because he stole all my sex moves in this movie. Um, but I liked it. Uh, I thought it was the rich man's adaptation. That's a good way to put it. And I think, I mean, I, I think you should give the premise, right? Like... Is that, that's okay, the, he starts suddenly appearing in everybody's dreams. Like, not everybody. I don't know if it's... It's like certain people around the world are seeing him in their dreams. Yeah, but I couldn't see the common thread, so I thought maybe people... Maybe it's everybody and the people he doesn't know about, like, they just haven't met him. Like, to them, it's just a stranger. Like, he only knows he's in the dreams. Oh, no, I guess he becomes famous, right? See, so you're grappling with issues the movie grapples with as well, by the way. Uh, to well, whom does it happen? Why does it happen to some and not others? Yeah, because remember well, he asked the, the okay. class, "Are you seeing me in your dreams?" And only yeah. some of them raised their hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the reason I really loved the movie is, in addition to weak male protagonists, I'm really, and maybe this is related to it. I'm really drawn to movies about characters who never learn, and so maybe that's like. Uh, Maybe that has to do with my distaste for redemption. Like that always, that to me, that's the sign of a great character who yeah. is just like, like where the movie essence. doesn't need to change the character to earn itself. <laughs> yeah. And it shows you the guy. It even shows you him on the cusp of learning it and even stay yeah, like yeah, yeah. his, his uh, thing about zebras and like staying in the herd and not being yep. noticed. Yep. Like he says it verbatim. I he love, doesn't I, make that connection himself. And I love, by the way, how it involves his, the area that he teaches in to address what's actually happening in the movie. It's not yeah. just he studies animal behavior. It's then the movie is about, in a way, animal behavior. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I love that connection, yeah. So I would call Dream Scenario, which, Kelly, what I quite liked, especially because I think it is a rare, it is one of those very rare movies where the director, and I wish I could remember the guy's name, really gets Cage's, Nicholas Cage's appeal and his talent. Yeah, um, his range. And because this is the perfect role for Nicholas Cage as someone who, like, we've all seen, you know, what was that movie with Pedro Pascal where he played Nicholas Cage? Like, what was that? World's Greatest Oh, an unbearable genius. Yeah, whatever that. Like, that genius. one didn't work for me because it was so, like, winky about who Nicolas Cage is. Yeah. But this movie didn't have to be winky because Nicolas Cage is someone that we all see in movies. Like, we understand, you know, he's playing basically himself amazed at the fact 
that everybody in the world knows who he is. Yeah. And that's what the movie is about, is what would it be like for a normal person to grapple with celebrity? Um, Right. And Cage is just, the broadness of his career, the depths and the heights of it, have sort of pushed him into being this weird everyman or any man uh, in our dreams, in our movies. Um, So I feel like that meta level is super important with Dream Scenario. And what it does is it makes Dream Scenario feel effortlessly Kaufman-esque. And that's something very few directors can achieve. Even Charlie Kaufman has his issues (laughs) sometimes. Yeah, although, you know how I feel about today, or however you say it. Which I've still never seen a second time. I need to. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, but I would even call Nick Cage's character in this slightly even subnormal. Although I think he's supposed to be playing average, but, like, he's such a whiny little bitch. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, there's nothing, like, heroic or laudable about him. It's definitely, it's a very non-vanity role. Absolutely. Yeah. He's unpersuasive. He ruins every conversation yep. he's in. He doesn't know what to say. Yeah, and it reminds me in a way, Kelly Wan, yeah. I feel like Alexander Payne did a better job exploring this kind of character, but it reminds me in a way of Paul Giamatti's Paul Hunnam character from The Holdovers, yeah. how he's utterly unlikable. He doesn't, he says the wrong things in conversations. He doesn't know how to do things like, like thank somebody who gives him a plate of cookies. Um, just but these, he has integrity. Nicholas right, Cage's because, character doesn't have any integrity. Well, right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There are principles that drive his petty behavior. Whereas, yeah, yeah I would say you're right. In Dream Scenario, Cage's character is just a petty, normal, insecure, whiny everyman, isn't he? And Paul Giamatti got screwed early on in life and never really got over it. Fair like, point. He just let it dictate <laughs> his life. Whereas Nicholas Cage's character, we don't know that he's had anything not handed to him. Maybe he's just been lucky up to this. That's like, a fair it's point. the. It's the white man's privilege story. Like, like I could see if you, that scenario being, like, perceived here right. fairly easily. Like, see, average, mediocre white man just gets an academic job and fucks his way through life. Kelly Wand, my number six movie of 2023, I unfortunately did not get time to tell you to see this. So I won't say mm-hmm. too much about it. Uh, it is a movie called... They cloned Tyrone. <laughs> I saw it on Amazon. Like, I didn't see the movie, but I was, like, circling it. So the director is someone named, oh, my God, I don't even know if this is a man or a woman, uh, mm. Jewel Taylor. Uh, and Jewel yeah. is spelled like it rhymes with fuel. Or it's spelled like fuel. So I don't know if that's a man it's or a woman. Masculine. I should have looked that up. But Jewel Taylor's, uh, it is a picaresque social mm. satire that leans confidently, enthusiastically, and very, very stylishly into its black exploitation roots. Oh, I love that. And what it is, it's a movie about this thuggish drug dealer. Uh, like Bottoms does lesbians. I'm sorry? Like Bottoms does lesbians. It's like, yeah, getting a full lesbian. Uh, oh, oh uh, lesbian, right. So, but this is more... Embraces it some. Right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. And this is very much genre. This is very much embracing its roots as a black exploitation movie because the main character is this thuggish drug dealer named Fontaine, 
who just oozes charisma and competence. Uh, so it's about him setting out to deal with a rival drug dealer. And it explodes into this wacky science fiction, um, almost superhero movie. Not quite, but I think that for me, for all purposes, this satisfied my requirements for any kind of like Marvel bullshit this year. Like this, this was all I needed as far as superhero movies. Um, but so playing Fontaine, again, this thuggish guy oozing charisma, I had no idea who it was until the movie was over. So I'm watching this new black actor. Uh, he's got a super handsome face. Uh, like I said, he just oozes charisma. Nice body. Go on. Uh, I don't know if he's ever naked, but yeah, like he's a big hawking fellow. But it's three people. This is basically a trio. Um, with this drug dealer is a pimp named Slick Char Charles, played by Jamie Foxx, who is at the top of his game. And then the third member of the trio, a drug dealer, a pimp, and a prostitute, which again just tells you how confidently this movie is leaning into black exploitation. But the third member of the trio is a woman named Tayona Paris, who I recognized but didn't know what from. Does that ring any bells, Kelly Wand? Tayona Paris? No. So she plays Monica Rambeau in the Marvel movie. <laughs> As an adult. As oh, and a, David Morse was who I was trying to think of before. It just came to me, but go on. Um, yes, I like David Morse. Anyway, so these three characters, they're a drug dealer, a pimp, and a prostitute, and they go up against this crazy plot in this town. Um, and it's kind of an action movie, too. All right, so Kelly Ward, I want to really quickly give you a good writing, bad writing uh, round from the clone Tyrone. There's a character who is rehearsing a ruse that they're going to pull off the next day. It's like before the heist, right? So the character is practicing the lines that he's going to say with someone. So he says the lines, and then he asks the other character. And Kelly Ward, I just ask you to remember most of the cast members in They Cloned Tyrone are black. So he does the line, and then he asks his partner, who's reading lines with him, was that training day, or was it Book of Eli? <laughs> and his partner goes, it was Book of Eli. And so oh. he goes, fuck, all right, let's run it again. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious, and just a, a great send-up of, like, you look at it as a modern-day like black exploitation humor, I guess. Um, but the clone Tyrone is so um, enthusiastic, energetic, and funny um, that I just I loved it. It was my sixth favorite movie of the year. All right. I was trying to think of other alternates, but yeah, that is the best combination for that one. Kelly Wand, what is your fifth favorite movie of the year? My fifth favorite was Oppenheimer, bro. Woo! -wee! All right, you love seeing Killian Murphy get laid. I love seeing Killian Murphy get laid. I loved how too long it was. I thought the editing was fucking sick. My only complaint was they should have used Oppenheimer's real line when the bomb goes off, which was, wait, they I didn't. guess it worked. Oh, oh wait, see, no. I'm sorry, I stepped on your bit. <laughs> His real line was, I guess it worked. 
which to me is a, a great line. But of course, since it's a movie, they have to make it all slow motion, poetic, and like. And then he does a like, line about I become Ozymandias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So which wait, is good, that, you know. But he really said like that's documented history that he said. Oh, it worked. Yeah, according to Wikipedia. Oh my god. Which is almost like a. No, I read it somewhere else too. No, no, I and believe, also, it. I I believe just, it. I just, I just didn't know if I. Because the Ozymandias that. thing, like that, implies like he scripted it in his head before it happened. I thought guess he it said. It sounds like a real guy saying that. Afterwards. I thought he said, "I become Shiva, destroyer of worlds, or whatever." That's the scripted one. That's okay. the one where come on, Oppenheimer wouldn't have done that. An actor playing him would have, and okay. a right screenwriter would have. But the real scientist would have gone. Guess it worked. So Kelly one, here's my issue. I'm assuming it's a it's a an intensely personal biopic about this one man. I don't see Christopher Nolan <laughs> as the kind of person to direct a biopic. Is that an Did issue you, or no? Uh, I wouldn't have thought so either. But it was beautifully written, I thought, and I was totally engaged in the characters, and it was uh, okay. it felt like a period piece, like. In that, like, those kinds of movies never get made anymore. Okay. And maybe I was just falling for the Barbenheimer phenomenon, because, like, the idea of those two movies as a double feature was really appealing to right. me, even though I didn't do it. All right, well, I will, but, I'll, I'm sure I'll see it at some point. It's just... And it's about a scientist. It's a biopic about a scientist working on physics. So, to me, that was really interesting. And it's it's a it's a suspense uh, thriller about... Oh. In the form of a biopic. Okay. Not really. Forget about everything I just said. Well, but I liked it. Part of, so part of the issue for me, Kelly One, and I've, I'm struggling with this in 2023, is I, I can count on one hand the number of times I've been to the theater. I end up seeing something like Oppenheimer when it's streaming, and it's just easy to, to bail if it starts to no. get a little slow. Uh, so I, I feel that movies like Bottoms and Oppenheimer that I bail on, if I'd been in a theater, I might have a different appreciation of them because I would have stuck it out. But watch I could one hand oh. Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh, but go on. <laughs> Kelly Wand, I'd like to know your fourth. Oh, so my fifth favorite was Holdovers. So we're now Good. down to number four. Kelly Wand, what's your fourth favorite movie of the year? Before we pause. My number four, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is on your list. So uh, it's When Evil Lurks. All right. What is that? And why is it number four? He's Argentinian. Am I right? The director? Yes, not it's Chilean. The... Close. Right. <laughs> It's the guy who made um, Terrify. His name is Damien Rubna. R U G N A. Ah, okay, good. And the, his other, his first movie was called Aterado? Aterados. Aterados, uh, which is the Spanish word for terrified. But yeah. it's not to be confused with the Terrifier movies, which Kelly yeah, Wand and I approve clown. of on a different level. But it's yeah. not Damien Rubna's first movie. That's called Aterados in Spanish or which Terrified. I love. In English, and yeah, I love that as well. So okay, so go. I on. like to think his movies are all connected and they're all happening in the same universe, even though none of the lore overlaps. But it's like my favorite line. It's in Aterados is like uh, the lady scientist is like telling the cop, yeah, and so we're just gonna. And it's after like tons of people have died and like been pulled through rifts and like gotten their faces exploded and stuff. And she's like, yeah, so with this machine of mine, we'll be able to study them. And then the cop goes, why? <laughs> I love that line. And he, he writes to You know, he knows he's in a horror movie and she does it. Right. So that's good. And I do like anybody who writes for adult 
competent professional characters rather than teenagers who stumbled onto it or yeah. a family who accidentally moved into the house. Uh, yeah. And that's what that's one of the things that I well, I'll let you talk, but that's one of the things I also really saw in When Evil Lurks. It's not about dumb teenagers running afoul of the supernatural. Yeah, like Autorados, it's about very competent people who know exactly what they're facing, what they're dealing with. Yeah, and they're still in over their heads, and they still fuck up. Or, or it's like, I, actually, I take that back. Some of them do. Like, a couple of them, all it takes is one weak link, and there's like a couple weak links. Like the, the so why don't you tell us about what e- when evil looks, what, what is it? Uh, explain Tom, it to I'm us. not good at like straightforward synopses. <laughs> things. That's why I write the goofy ones, because I don't, it gets me out of having to say and remember what things are really about. But it's a... Uh, so basically, a, I would um, say it is a different yeah. take on possession movies, on like exorcism yeah. movies. Uh it's still an exorcism movie, possession movie. It's the thing meets the grudge. Uh, that's kind of, yeah, I think you, you might have short-circuited my brain as I ponder the implications of that one. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, there's so, so the go ahead, spreads. take it away. Yep. No, no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Cut oh you no, off. no, I, I was just talk. trying to lay out the basic premise that it is a possession movie, but that it has a unique perspective on possession. Um, like, it's not like that bullshit David Gordon Green, hey, now we have twins. Ooh, look what we did. Like, yeah. it's not that kind of, let's just add an extra razor to the three razors, and now you've got a full razor shaver. It's a genuinely new idea that is explored in, I feel, amazing depth. So, Kelly, yeah. Wad, I, I'm sorry, you've, you've, I, I'm, I'm on a tear. You can't stop me. When Evil Lurks is my favorite movie of 2023 because it reminded me of being a kid and seeing Don Coscarelli's Phantasm. Phantasm is a deeply nutso um, horror movie that when you watch it, if you pay attention, you will also realize it has this deeply weird but fascinating and intricate world building behind it you watch yeah. phantasm and you think wait a minute there's a gate to another world and a guy is taking bodies from the corners he's shrinking them down to dwarf size he's mm. resurrecting them and he's sending them to a gate to another world with greater gravity so they can be slaves yeah. like that is not so it opens up I have so many more questions. Yeah, the <laughs> and, mechanics of it. Yeah, and so many things to watch for watching the movie. But this is what Don Coscarelli thought of when he sat down to write a movie about a family. And this family, yeah. by the way, has been decimated. It's just two brothers. Everyone else is dead. Um, yeah. So Don Coscarelli exposes this family to this deeply weird, nutso world building. And then he basically has it destroy them. Yeah. And that's super distressing as a kid to watch that because it was weird and violent and it had sex and nudity and things that I had never seen before at that age. It had a flying ball that sticks into your head and drills your brains out. Right. A finger that grows into a bug. It was just nuts. Who thinks of this stuff? Yeah. Um, so, I feel that 
when evil lurks has that same it does shocking things because it's a really extreme horror movie it managed to shock me a, a, a guy i'm 50 set, set, seven whatever i'm 57 whatever i'm 60 basically it managed to shock me even in a way that that made me think of being a little kid and being shocked uh so it's it's one of those rare movies that made me remember that shock i felt as a little kid to certain horror movies but it was also a movie that was fascinating to me in its implications about things as as diverse as government and church history Mm -hmm. like the world building that is laid out by the time this movie is over uh to me demanded a second third fourth viewing uh yeah i don't know how many times i've seen this movie i've showed it to people um but i just love how nutso and intricate it is as a horror movie I think a lot of it, um, or not a lot of it, but a part of it, is uh, it comes down to the production design of those um, devices that the specialists use. Like they look so medieval and Leonardo da Vinci esque that it suggests, like, oh yeah, this is like a known thing. Also, too, if this was Insidious or one of those movies, those specialists would be going, yeah, we have to do this before the gate closes and da 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 da. But these are like. These are like old women with like these really weird devices. They just go, just do this, da 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 da, and they're like kind of like, like it's a routine they've done a million times before. Kelly, I would argue that one of the foundations that the movie rests on is the idea that weak men cannot stand up to evil. That right. that that that, that, that uh, men's weaknesses, I yeah. should say, are a primary vector of evil. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean that in any Barbie way. I'm not talking about the patriarchy. I'm speaking just literally. Yeah. The weaknesses that men have are a vector for evil. Um, yeah. Not that men are evil, and not that patriarchy is terrible, which, yeah, sure it is, but just that men are, uh, are, are a unique vector for evil a lot of times. I agree with you, because the women are always like, don't do this, and then right. the men get their emotions their emotions get the best of them, and then at that things things are always getting worse all the time. And part of it too, Kelly Wand, as a man, uh, yeah. I feel like it's more scary that evil knows very well how to manipulate these men. Yeah, like because I understand male weaknesses about. I mean, Kelly Wand, one of the things that I, I mean, men are men and women are obviously so different, but there are things that the, about the way that men are wired. Which is just such a detriment to us. <laughs> like yeah. we we can do such stupid things so readily because of our biology. Sometimes I think. Yeah. Um, but when evil lurks, it reveals this sinister force that understands that, and that's part yeah. of like what's I think uniquely appealing. What I resonate with as a, in a horror movie is you know Pedro's weaknesses that, that are revealed over the course of the movie are pretty extreme. Um, but they're very much issues that men have in yeah. relationships. Um, yeah, and it overrides the plan, the common sense, the yep. rationality, yep. Uh, the smart play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other thing, Kelly Wan, that I, I related to, um, uh, I really loved the opening, I guess, 10 minutes of Evil Dead Rise, uh, which was yeah. another possession movie that came out this year. I also loved... The apartment building setting it was like in the yeah. middle of a city uh and i especially loved Alyssa sutherland it's the main demon 
She, yeah, I told you. Yeah, she was awesome. She makes that movie worth watching. Yes. Um, but And something we haven't seen before in an Evil Dead movie, like that kind of a character getting but Evil Dead. I know. feel that it pulls punches in terms of um, the trauma it inflicts on the central family. It yeah. wants you to think, oh my God, the demon's going to traumatize these kids and the single mother, yeah. and it's going to be horrific. But not really. They rise to the occasion, and it becomes it? a movie about a battle with a chainsaw. Like, it right. undercuts its own menace, yeah. I feel. That never happens in When Evil Lurks. Plus, at the end of Evil Dead Rise, we have an Evil Dead character driving a car through L.A. that we don't get to see on screen. I'd really like to see how the Evil Dead drives a car. Like, in what, Kelly Wand, I would invite driving. you to watch the ending of Last Exorcism Part 2. When, uh, is it Ashley right. Bell? Yeah, Ashley Bell gets in a car. <laughs> Fire engines? And she's got, yep, and she's got Pazuzu with her, or whatever his name is. Uh, uh, Ambledam, that was a demon's name. Bambledam, that was a demon's name, yeah. And they're driving around, and trees are bursting into flames. That's what Those it was like. Those are different powers, but yes, <laughs> close enough. But when evil lurks, and also, I guess I'll mention this now, um, the fact that Chile 19, that 1976, the Chilean movie, and When Evil Lurks were two of my favorite, my top two favorite movies of the year. The fact that both movies came from the southern extremes of Latin America, Argentina on one side, Chile on the other. Argentina having had to deal with the shortcoming, with uh, uh, Juan Perón as a dictator. Chile yeah. having to deal with the far more brutal machinations of Pinochet as a dictator. Yeah. I feel that both of these countries' histories with dictatorship and especially with the church, and that's capital C, Catholic Church, not this nonsense we have in America as churches, but both movies, I feel, address the country's relationships with their respective dictators and with the church. Because both countries, as you might imagine, are intensely Roman Catholic. Um, right. So, as a, as a student of religion myself, uh, I loved how both movies invoked the church's role in this larger issue. Yeah. And I want to cheat Kelly Wand, and briefly, I toyed with the idea of making my number one pick, When Evil Lurks, 1976, and a third Chilean movie about Pinochet, called El Conde. Do you know about El Conde? No. Why don't you hum a few bars? <laughs> El Conde is basically a support structure for a very, very deep-cut Cold War joke. But I enjoyed the hell out of the joke, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's also um, it's kind of an uh, over-the-top black comedy that suggests that Augusta Pinochet, the dictator, was actually a centuries-old vampire. Nice. And that he didn't die, he just staged his own death so that he could retire and just drink blood and live out the rest of eternity. But what El Conde imagines is, what if his children got older and started worrying about their inheritance and maybe thinking, hmm, he should die. So it's basically what if Pinochet's children 
assembled in the remote mansion where he lives to try to murder him. But Hmm. Pinochet is a vampire, and it's told as a comedy. But, Kelly Wand, it's a Chilean movie. What it's getting at, just like the movie 1976 that Manuela Martelli directed, what it's getting at is that country's relationship with Pinochet and the horrific violence that he committed during his reign. And it's processing it as a black comedy. Uh, So three of my favorite movies from this year were basically about the relationships of Latin American countries to dictatorships and the church. Um, Nice. All right. So Kelly Wand, uh, my number four now. So when evil looks, I could talk a whole hour with you about that. And maybe we should. I could upsize it. All right. Before I tell you about my number four, let's take a quick break. And then we are, we'll be back after this word from our sponsor. The Quarter to Three Movie Podcast Top 3 Movies of 2023 are brought to you by Tubi, streaming the hottest new releases to your choice of digital platform. Coming soon, exclusive among free-to-view platforms is Lionsgate's tense thriller, The Marsh King's Daughter. A woman with a secret past will venture into the wilderness she left behind to confront the most dangerous man she's ever met, her father. Starring Daisy Ridley from Star Wars, Episode 7, The Force Awakens, as Helena, who hides a dark and dangerous truth that her estranged father is the infamous Marsh King, played by Ready Player One's Ben Mendelsohn as the man who kept her and her mother captive in the wilderness for years. When her father escapes from prison, Helena will need to confront her past. Knowing that he will hunt for her and her family, Helena must find the strength to face her demons and outmaneuver the man who taught her everything she knows about surviving in the wild. Also starring Tron Legacy's Garrett Hedlund. Coming soon, exclusive among free-to-view platforms, only on Tubi. And we're back with our top three from 2023. But first, Kelly Wan, we neglected my fourth favorite movie. Yours was When Evil Lurks. Mine, I don't know what to do. I don't know what these letters stand for. I'm pretty sure they stand for Romania in some shape, form, or fashion. But this is a movie called R-M-N. Just capital R period, M period, N period. At no point in the movie, as far as I know, does it explain why it's called that. Hmm. So I'm assuming you have not seen it. No, I don't see movies that are acronyms. <laughs> Very good. Well, this one, Kelly Wand. Just give me the full thing. And I don't know the, yeah, I don't know what the full thing. So If I wanted to read letters, I'd read an alphabet. Very good. Well, Kelly Wand, RMN does require reading. It's a Romanian movie. We've actually seen one of the director's movies before. So, but, but I want to, I want to discuss RMN in the context of another movie I saw that kind of tells the same story. So I want to talk about two movies, one of which is my fourth favorite of the year, RMN, the other of which I enjoyed but didn't particularly care for. And these are two movies about the same premise. One is by a man named Christian Munju. He is a Romanian director. 
Uh, Ooh. Yeah. And another one is by Ken Loach. He's an English director, and his movie is called The Royal Oak. So RMN and The Royal Oak are both movies about the impact of a sudden flood of emigrants into a, a small insular community, which is obviously uh, a topic of, of concern in many places in the world. So Christian Moonjew, Ken Loach decide they're going to make a movie about immigration. Now, Ken Loach's movie, The Royal Oak, is very heartfelt, and it's all, it's very, very Ken Loach. Uh, he has a naturalistic, almost improv approach with his actors, which I really enjoy. Um, but Ken Loach is a very, very left-wing, uh, he's British, uh, a social realist uh, director. When it comes to movie making, he embraces traditionally left-wing topics like labor, uh, in this case, intolerance towards immigration. Um, uh, so, so Ken Loach is very much about these, these social causes, and he makes very character-centric, actor-centric movies about these, which I quite enjoy. But in the case of this, a movie about what happens when Syrians move into a small British community, I think in the Midlands, which is the British equivalent of, you know, the south of the boondocks, Pomona. I think. Um, not even Pomona. I'm thinking more Arkansas, Kelly Wand, my old stomping ground. Ugh. But I felt Ken Loach's movie, Royal Oak, was ultimately kind of facile, um, which, huh. is, which is fine. It's one way to approach this issue, to take this kind of hopeful, well, it could work out this way, dot, 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 and then kind of have a... A happy ending and, and, and bring out a warm, positive, humanist message. And I feel that's what Ken Loach tries to do most often. Uh, it, it's part of his approach to movie making, I think. Um, but let's now look at someone who doesn't have the luxury of being a filmmaker in England where it's you know financed by the government and you can be a crazy left-wing socialist and maybe... Nobody likes your movies, but the government still funds them because that's how the arts work in most European countries. But now I want to look at a filmmaker from Romania, which has grappled with a whole other set of issues. As a filmmaker, we know Christian Moonju from a movie called Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, uh, which some people would remember as the Romanian abortion movie. Uh, we we talked oh, about yeah. yeah we talked about this on the podcast. It made several of our lists. Um, it is also like Ken Loach, a very social realist approach to the issue of abortion. So when when Munju makes this movie about immigration, he again has a very social realist approach, but with a twist, which is what really made this one stick out for me. Um, it begins with a boy in the woods just walking to school, a, a very young boy, maybe six years old, and he sees something that stuns him. But the camera doesn't flip around to a reverse angle to show us his view. It just holds on the boy who considers what he's seeing and then decides to run home and not talk about it, but be traumatized by it. We don't know what he's seen, uh, and that's the trick of the movie initially, to draw you in. What did he see, and therefore, what kind of movie is this going to be? Is it supernatural, uh, or 
Is there going to be some grand metaphor? Did he see? Is it going to be a murder mystery? Uh, is there? Is there? Is he an unreliable narrator? Did he see nothing? But that's the initial hook. Is why did this child react so dramatically to something in the woods that we don't get to see? Mm. And from that, he tells the story about the impact of immigration, about the way that people react to new people and vice versa, the way that new people react to the indigenous, to the people that live there. Um, it's a story also, unlike Ken Loach's, I think, more optimistic, uh, humanistic approach, RMN very much addresses the increasing acceptance of incendiary right-wing reactionary politics around the world. You know, Ken Loach thinks he's just talking about the local soccer hoodlums. But I feel that Christian Munju's approach to the issue, he knows he's dealing with something much, much bigger than merely the intolerance of people who live in a neighborhood. And I feel that that comes out in RMN in a way that didn't in the Royal Oak. And then finally, I will say, and this is what seals the deal for me, uh, that whole central mystery, what did the boy see? Are we going to get to know? Is it going to be some narrative jack-off thing? That, like, who, who knows? Like, what he does with that central mystery and how he ends the movie is ultimately why RMN was one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, I feel that Munju, he sticks a landing in terms of the ending like nobody else. Um, so that was my fourth favorite, RMN. That was a really good review because it, it really enticed me to want to watch the movie and it didn't really spoil anything so i was very i thought you really threaded the needle good 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 because uh, uh it was mentioned to me. Seen it. yeah and it was mentioned to me i have a, a very good friend who you know bruce garrick who sees very few movies but sometimes when he does see one uh and it it, it impacts him which i think this one did uh i gotta know like what's a movie that really got bruce garrick uh, if it gets Garrick, it'll get anyway. Exactly, exactly. And so that was my introduction to RMN, is him basically just making a comment about it and me thinking, well, I, I got to see what got under Bruce Garrick's skin. And sure enough, it got under mine as well. So You didn't tell me to watch this either, you fucker. What's wrong with you? Um, you know what? It wasn't on my list. And I actually, spoiler, I had to boot Barbie to make room for this. And Kelly Wand, I loved Barbie. So... I, yeah, I apologize not letting you know in advance, um, but maybe we can have more talk in the future. Kelly Wan, now, though, it's time for the big three, as they say in, um, I'm sure, hockey and football and maybe even baseball. So, Kelly Wan, <laughs> what is your third favorite movie for 2023? Because I imagine, I imagine it's a good one. Yeah, all these are good. Well, you'll agree with two of them, and one of the third one you'll go what the fuck's wrong with you uh -oh. um bring it well this isn't that one okay i'll do a quote from it <laughs> oh yeah yeah we haven't been doing that yeah give me a quote oh be careful of that infinity pool oi 
Oh, God, I love my Mia Goth, but I just, Alexander Skarsgård, I am so over him, Kelly Wad. That's what? my issue. I know, I know. All right, tell us wow. tell us what this is and why you like it. I know, I mean, Kelly Wand, Possessor, knocked my freaking socks off. And, and you know, I'm an apologist for the younger Cronenberg. So the fact yeah. that I'm not going to bat for this, I, I feel speaks volumes. So... Take it away. Tell us what this is, why you liked it, and why I'm done. This is my number three because it's it's more Cronenberg than Cronenberg. Or it's more Cronenberg than Crimes of the Future, at least, I thought. I, like Kelly Wand, I would say that Brandon Cronenberg is more Cronenberg than David Cronenberg. I would yeah, say... Yeah, you hate scanners and video I do, I do, I do. Fair enough. <laughs> I think The Fly is the only one that you see correctly on. Well, and, and later things like, like Crimes of the Future. Eastern and History Promises, of Violence. History of Violence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. But this is the best Mia Goth performance ever. No, Ryan come on, better than Pearl. You liked it better than Pearl. Yeah, I, I did. Okay, I mean, she is good. She's because good. it's a real accent, and Pearl, um, Pearl's an ensemble. And more. Pearl, you're right, Pearl is an affect that she's doing, and that's fair, yeah. And Pearl's got other things going on that distract, while as an infinity pool, it kind of all comes back to Mia Goth, even though she's there are other characters sure. that are really critical. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but the premise is basically it's another Latin American country. Oh, that's right. But and... it's not it's, it's not specified, right? Like, isn't it a right, fictional yeah, yeah. country? Yeah, it's a fictional country where the idea is that these illicit goings on would be tolerated by the authorities. Right. 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 And so uh, Alexander Skarsgård, I forget who his wife is. Oh, my God. Yeah, someone. That movie just didn't register much for me, which is why I don't remember. But, <sighs> but yeah, he's a rich guy vacationing. Well, I just wife. saw it a long time ago is why I sound like an idiot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's a rich guy, and I forget what his crime is. I think he, he's either, he misses curfew or he runs over somebody. I think generally does... what happens when you go to a foreign country is you hit someone with your car. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always a... Uh, yeah, so uh, they have a really punitive system, but they have a, uh, an escape clause where you, <laughs> you go into a room that has a bunch of wax in it, and then it makes a clone of you, and then they can take out the punishment, <laughs> capital punishment on your clone. And so there's like a whole enclave of rich white fuckers who like oh yeah we could just do whatever we want just have clones take it and then that becomes its own like sub community of like oh we can watch the clones take the hit right it's, it's very much about uh, uh practicing sadism on replicas of people right right yeah another weak male and uh oh god so, yeah, my... yeah, yeah. yeah and it's scars guard so it's like it's a weak male played by a, a traditionally non-weak actor, like who usually plays alpha male yeah. types. And I did enjoy like seeing like that twist about him. Yeah. So Kelly Wan, can I tell you the movie? This is actually cheating because it's from a couple of years back. But there's another movie about a privileged guy who goes to a foreign country and hits up someone with his car. Do you know the okay. one I'm talking about? Uh, it's Ray Fiennes. Oh, wait. Oh, Schindler's List. <laughs> no, so... English Patient? There, there's a, uh, the, the, the lesser McDonough. There's the Martin McDonough that did three billboards outside Ebbing's, Missouri. Did I get that title right? In seven. But there, there's the other McDonough. Uh, his most recent movie is called The Forgiven. 
and hmm. it's Ray Fine and I think Jessica Chastain's the wife. And they go to this oh, foreign country and he hits a kid by the side of the road. It's that wind up. And again, it's his then ensuing involvement with the moral and legal framework of that act. So right. it's Infinity Pool, but it's not a horror movie. It's a McDonough Brothers yarn. It's a reverse babble. Kind of, Kelly Wan. Very good. God, Boom. Kelly Wan, I knew there's a reason I podcast with you. <laughs> Remind me, because well I put. What I, said. I loved your reverse babble. I live in the moment, Tom. All right, yeah. Infinity Pool. Infinity Pool, I'm surprised. Uh, you didn't like it as much. God, I really just, yeah. yeah. But I remember now you saying that you didn't, so I shouldn't be surprised. I forgot that you didn't like Also, it. I will say. You told me to see it. No, no, I did tell you to see it. So Brandon Cronenberg's other two movies are Antiviral and Possessor. Right. And they both have, Antiviral has the fascinating Caleb Landry Jones just kind of lurching through it. Um, <laughs> whereas Possessor has Andrea Riseborough playing Christopher Abbott. And right. so... What right, the right. lead actors are doing in both of those movies, I find absolutely fascinating. Whereas in Infinity Pool, I'm just watching Alexander Skarsgård get punked. <laughs> so that's not nearly as enjoyable for me as far as my Brandon Cronenberg. But if you don't like the actor, you should like it when he gets... Well, that, that, and that's, I do, yeah. But it just doesn't hold the candle to why I really liked Antiviral and especially Possessor for how deeply Possessor explores its uh, its concepts. There's some of that in Infinity wow. Pool, but I just found the concept a little less intriguing, I guess. Mia Goth is blonde in this and British, so third best movie fair point. for me. Very yeah. fair point. I don't know what planet you're on. Kelly Wand, I am on the planet where my third favorite movie is your fault. Oh, good. Yeah. It's because... So as I was reading, uh, you got me to read Great Expectations earlier this uh -huh. year. Um, and it Pip, and especially like Miss Havisham, like all of these characters I knew about through cultural osmosis. But yeah. finally getting to meet them, getting to meet their friends, like Uncle Joe and the sister, um, yeah. the, the, the lawyer who has the castle with his little wife. I'm, yep. I'm spacing all their names. But I love Great Expectations, Kelly Wand was one of those meaningful lifetime experiences that I yeah. had. Uh, and I have you to think about it, because I hadn't read any Dickens since graduate school. So I loved that so much. And this movie has so much in common. And I don't even think it's intentional. I bet if you were to ask him, the writer might go, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. But oh, yeah, I don't think he intentionally aimed for this. Um, oh. But... The movie, it's a Paul Schrader movie called Master Gardener. <laughs> now, did you see it? I did. It's not in my top ten because it reminded me too much of another Schrader movie. As uh, it should, because I feel yeah. like it's Schrader just iterating on topics he's yeah, been yeah, iterating. Yeah. But part of what I loved about Master Gardener is I feel like he's had a hard time resolving his prior stories. And I feel like he finally found, I, I finally found, feel like he found a way out for his confused male protagonist. 
Oh, that's, uh, that's one of the things I love about Master Gardener that I didn't like about um, First Reformed or Card Counter, which is or as other two movies that are considered part of a trilogy with Master Gardener. Um, but I even feel the same way about classic Paul Schrader movies like Taxi Driver or mm-hmm. Affliction with Nick Nolte. You know, those movies end... You know, Paul Schrader specializes in movies about confused men entering these spirals of violence and self-destruction. So one thing that Paul Schrader has, I don't know if he struggles with it or if it's intentional, but he tends to sacrifice his characters to this violence and self-destruction. His confused protagonists don't know how to get out of it. So we're basically watching them fall prey to their own confusion, their own self-destruction, the violence they create around them, and the poor choices they make. But Master Gardener, I feel like he finally found a character who could extricate himself and make the right choices, who wasn't fated to fail. Um, yeah, and I, so I love. So it's about. A and go- it's not crazy, like taxi. That's a very good point. There's no like unreliable. Well, he's you're right. He's not crazy. There's no like pathology or mental illness with this, which you might argue. For instance, First Reformed is about Ethan Hawke as a priest, and any Paul Schrader movie is going to expose a seedy underbelly at some point. And the CD underbelly in First Reformed is this idea of sadomasochism, mortification of the flesh, um, even self-sacrifice. So even First Reformed, which begins with a very um, deceptively, it begins with a character who you think knows what he's doing, is competent, is religious, is okay with the paradoxes of his religion, he knows how to communicate, he knows how to care for for his congregation. But what's revealed is that, no, he's horrible at what he does, and he has all these deep secrets. Um, With Master Gardener, that same thing happens. But it's done very differently. It's done almost like a mystery. Um... And when the mystery reveals, by the way, I will say there were some fantastic, genuinely shocking moments in Master Gardener, um, which I adored. Again, like with When Evil Lurks, I am rarely shocked by movies. And if you can go into Master Gardener only knowing that it's about a horticulturist and his relationship to the rich dowager who is kind of keeping him as a kept man, who is toying with his affections in his love life, um, who's kind of trying to control him and use him for her own purposes. Um, How this character resolves his situation just feels markedly different from the way other Paul Schrader movies work. Uh, And that that was precious to me. It's almost Uh, like... It's almost like Kelly Wand. I feel like Paul Schrader has finally grown out of a phase uh, and he's matured into a different approach to violence and turmoil. So I'm sorry, I cut you off. You loved... Also, too, now that you said that, it actually 
spark something it's like he this is like an older character than taxi driver character so it's like it's like if that character aged into and mellowed out but kept his same values sort of thing and wasn't crazy you know what i mean like sure. paul schrader is sure like sure. he's he's older this character's older but he still has the same theme yep yep oh exactly right right like and, a mature take on like you just said and just basically so I, I also was reminded there's a, a young actress in it because again and then, so the structure by the way of great expectations is absolutely here it's a rich widowed woman uh her gardener uh is someone who uh is is basically like her servant he looks up to her she summons him uh like he's almost a, a pip because she also arguably sets him up for a failed relationship and, and even though the specifics varied from great expectations just sigourney weaver as a miss havisham like she's mm -hmm. so good in that it reminded me of her ice storm character but yeah. grown up and even more bitter um yeah. and she's so good at that kind of flinty edge uh, sigourney. even i'm thinking of a young sigourney weaver refusing to let ash into the airlock because the containment like sigourney weaver has always been perfect at being bitchy without being called bitchy like she's a woman who puts her foot down with an edge and it makes sense uh like i like we're very impressed when bill murray gets her in ghostbusters exactly oh. that's an accomplishment <laughs> yeah he got through that wow. uh, so her character, in, even though it wasn't technically supposed to be a Miss Havisham, oh my God, actually, Kelly Wand, is Miss Havisham the name from Great Expectations? Yeah. Okay. Sigourney Weaver's name in Master Gardener is Miss Haver Hill. <laughs> so, oh. so maybe Paul Schrader... So it has to be intentional. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, but anyway, the point I was wanting to get to is there's also an Estella in the movie naturally because uh, all of paul schrader's movies i guess except first reformed i think i don't think he had ethan hawk's priest character wanting to fuck someone which is the typical thing you do with a priest movie i forget maybe he did but oh you know i think he did but, but estella sucks in great right 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 so there's no in card counter by the way the female love interest for oscar isaac was tiffany haddish and in theory, I have no problem with that. But in practice, Tiffany Haddish was such a lightweight TV actor. She could not hold her own next to Oscar Isaac. I was like, that was horrible to see. Fortunately, in Master Gardener, the love interest for Joel Edgerton's Gardener is uh, a young woman named, I wrote this down, uh, Quintessa Swindell. Um, she's not great, but she's fine. Here's my problem, Kelly Wand. As you might imagine, um, Paul Schrader is not shy about sexuality or nudity. Uh, yeah. There is a scene in Master Gardener where it's very, very important that both characters be naked right. for reasons of what's, what's being shown thematically, the plot. They're obviously about to have sex. Like, it's not... No one is being shy, but the scene is staged in an amazing way and both actors need to be naked but quintessa swindell apparently 
and I didn't read this, I'm just saying this from watching the movie, apparently insisted on wearing a body stocking. Because it's Ew. shot in such a way that I'm pretty sure she's not naked. Um, and it's shadowy. So only one of the actors took their clothes off. The other actor opted not to. And I feel that that's a huge um, creative misstep. Yeah. Uh, not because... I well, because the skin colors matter. That's one of the things, exactly, Kelly Wand. Like, the, the, the movie has been so clear about being about flowers and colors and yeah. the outward shows of beauty and color. Like, yeah, one I of love the, that narrative. Yeah, yeah and Master Gardener, Paul Schrader's script. Like, I enjoyed how Paul Schrader was expressing Christianity, Catholicism, in First Reformed. I felt like it was a respectful treatment of it. Uh, the card counting stuff, the gambling stuff, and um, card counter, I could take or leave. I've seen a bunch of movies like that. But I don't know of a movie that so keenly dovetailed its narrative, its plot, in with horticulture and gardening and, and yeah. plants. And <laughs> like, like, I loved the way that the gardener's art was invoked in terms of what's happening in the course of the movie. And woven in. Yeah. There's a line about um, how he says something like, uh, people used to think that a seed's lifespan was only 150 yep. years, but yep. now we know it can last like 1,200 years. It's like, I took that as like, oh, he's referring to slavery being like 100, like the Civil War being 150 years ago. Sure, sure. That's one way to read it. I didn't think of that. But, no, it, but yeah, The absolutely. roots of that go way back. Like, it's... It's like something that's it's almost timeless. Part of what's going on, though, nature. here, Kelly Wand, and then I think this is important, is we're not revealing what Master Gardener is about. Like, if, sorry, if, no, no, but but no, no, but but I'm saying there are things that uh, that you can't appreciate about Master Gardener until you're having the conversation after having experienced its reveals. Like, yeah. like we know that First Reformed is going to be about religion. Card Counter is going to be about counting cards plus whatever pathologies the protagonists have. Master Gardener, for the first, I guess, half hour, you're like, this, yeah, this is a movie about gardening. Uh, so Which I was really into. I, I was too. And, and yeah. Joel Edgerton is amazing at bringing that to life. I'm like, oh my yeah. God, I want to sit and listen to Joel Edgerton lecture for an hour about horticulture. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but then... And the way he makes that, that attire look Badass. Right, right, and his haircut Suspenders. and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, someone at one point calls him Farmer John, and at yeah. that point I was like, oh yeah, he does look like Farmer John, but because he wears it so well, it never occurred to me to describe it in such a dismissive way. Yeah. <laughs> like, for me, it was always... And he never reacts to disses like he actually feels it. Right, right. Oh, he's so, a fascinating uh, character, and yeah. that's why when the, you know usual cd underbelly is revealed like the movie's like oh yeah of course um so there's more to learn but i just love the horticulture theme and how true schrader's script stays to it throughout uh i was bummed out that apparently the actress the and it made me think do you know the story about paul schrader filming that terrible terrible movie called the canyons with Lindsay Lohan? No. Do you know what The Canyons is, by the way? 
No. The Canyons is a is a is a rightfully overlooked Paul Schrader movie whose main claim to fame is it included I think it might be just one, but one of the male leads was an actual porn star who'd never been in an actual movie before. Uh he's this And porn. the other was Lindsay Lohan. And that's true. Oh. The other was Lindsay Lohan. Um uh-huh. so there's a scene that required nudity. And Lindsay Lohan had apparently signed up to do this. But on the day they were going to shoot it, Lindsay Lohan refused to come out of the bathroom naked. She refused Jesus to do Christ. the nudity. Uh. Paul Schrader was like, I need the nudity for this scene. So he stripped down himself and directed the scene naked for her. Yes. Everyone wins. Uh, but apparently that didn't work in, um, oh, it didn't? in Master Gardener because in Master Gardener the woman was wearing the body set. I was like, Paul Schrader, I hope you at least volunteered to direct the scene nude yourself. Um, See, a- that scene I was like, this is uh, – because you know how you always think everything's a hallucination and I never do? Sure, sure. Like, and ever since Black Summer, I go, Tom can't be trusted. <laughs> um, no, but um, I can definitely see. I mean, there's a dreamlike quality to it, which, again, is why I'm bummed out that Comtesse Swintel wouldn't take off her clothes. Swintel wouldn't take off her right. clothes. And I know yeah. that that's a whole different issue for a young actress. I want to respect that. But just in terms of the creative integrity of what Paul Schrader was trying to do. And this particular story. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm just really bummed that. She insisted. Well, and on... also, it it rings false, and so that adds to the dreamness of it. It's like, oh, something's fake about this, but I can't put my finger on Kelly it. Kelly I liked that a lot. Very good, very good. So, yeah. All right. So my number three, yours was Infinity Pool. Mine is Master Gardener, Paul Schrader's latest with Joel Edgerton uh, yeah. and Sigourney. Very worth seeing. Yes. Uh, Kelly Wand. But I couldn't take bottoms off, Tom. <laughs> no choice. We can't have you bottomless, Kelly Wand. I think Schrader would agree with me there. Kelly Wand, what's your second favorite movie of the year? Okay, this one will really annoy you. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, oh I know what it is, I bet. All right, I'll do a quote. <laughs> yeah, I could not stand this movie, as you might imagine. What's wrong with you? I love Ari Aster when he makes good movies. Bo's Fred's great movie, you fucking moron. Oh, God. God, I was Listen. so mad at that thing. All right, Kelly Wand, why would that be your second favorite movie of 2023? Okay, another of my things that I always love, so, oh, it's got to be my top 10 list, is um, I liked it the same reason, for the same reason I like The Father, where its whole visual style and storytelling is like a reflection of the main character's derangement. Yep. So it's like, uh, but plus um, the part where he had a beard and walked really far it was cool. I would Number say... Two. The, Bo is Afraid would be like if Terry Gilliam had directed The Father. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. I see that, yeah. No, it's, uh, I'm, I was shocked. I was really puzzled you didn't like it because I was, although actually now that I think about it, everyone I've mentioned it to didn't like it. Like I'm the only one. Well, it's a difficult it. watch because it's, it's um, so surreal. Like it really does, yeah. I think, wallow. And punishing. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's cruel and surreal, absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's a deadly combo. I know Ari Oster was very cruel in Midsummer and Hereditary, um, yeah. but at least he was lucid in those movies. I have no idea what he was thinking 
with Bo is Afraid. It's just so what? weirdly hyper-stylized. You know what, yeah. Kelly Wand? Here we go. Why is that bad? Here we go. Whereas I felt dream scenario felt effortlessly Kaufman-esque, I felt, felt Bo is Afraid felt like more a forced Kaufman-esque. Does that make hmm. sense? Yeah, but Kaufman would do three hours of it. He did. I don't know. Kaufman, does Kaufman do mom themes? Like, I well, no, he's not themes. Jewish. I mean, Bo is Afraid is classic Jewish neuroses, I think. Right. Uh, and I, I get the sense, you know, Ari Alster is channeling all that stuff, and that's fine. Bless his heart. I'm glad he's found a creative outlet for it. Kaufman, actually, I mean, Kaufman sounds like a Jewish name. I don't. I get the sense uh. that Kaufman's issue is just the the enormity of the human condition. <laughs> like, like yeah. his is nothing as, as specific as Jewish neuroses. He's, yeah, it's just it, one facet. Yeah, it's just the weight of the cosmos on you. Um, yeah. So, but Bo is afraid. I, I mean, I watch Bo is afraid, thinking, I bet Kelly Wan loved the hell out of this, uh, but it just did it not. Kicks work all for my me. boxes, Tom. It does. Amy Ryan drinking paint. Uh, actors, I'll bring up later. actors who will go on to play Napoleon. You, oh God, you dude! I tried to watch Napoleon last night. Right? I made it like it I go? spent twenty bucks on it, and I watched like top, like five minutes of it. I went, oh. No, I'm so excited! I can't wait! I want to see it. It's bad. Oh, I'm bummed. I'll keep trying. I was instantly like, I can't do this. I mean, right come now. on, a big period piece, even just I for know. the costumes and the battles. Who cares if it's bad, right? Joaquin just had this look on his face, like, Ugh. oh God, Joaquin. Did you, uh. And he's supposed to be young as fuck. It's like, oh yeah. But I want to at least get to Vanessa Kirby, so like that—that'll be my oh. Rubicon. I does she play Josephine? Yeah. <gasps> and she's supposed to be an older woman in RL, but she's like, Kelly, why you make me? I'm really psyched for Napoleon now. I don't even care if it's See? Ridley Scott. Got cute well, little Vanessa Kirby to carry me through. And well, this will make you want to see it more. The negative reviews were like. There's way too much Josephine in it. God. Hey, awesome. No <laughs> yeah, see? So, All right, great, good, good. So I'll try to pick it up again tonight. But I, based on the first five minutes, it's not on my top ten list. Right, right, right. Although the opening sequence is good, but then Napoleon comes in. It's like, All right. I don't know if I can buy into this. Well, that was, and I'll, I'll mention the other ones, but that was on my list of the movies I didn't get to see. So who knows if it would have been on my list. Um um, I watched, well, I'll bring up some other ones later. So, Kelly Wong, we know that my number two movie of 2023 was 1976, the Chilean movie. So, mm -hmm. we are down to your number one movie. Yeah, we know you're number one. Yep. So, this is it, right? Well, then we'll do then our we'll make... awards. And yeah. And then I have some other movies that I just wanted to like. I have to mention a few that didn't make, didn't quite make my list. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do that. Yep, yep. All right, my number one movie... Um, here, I'll do a quote from it. Yes. What a beautiful retard. Did I do it wrong? Maybe Jesus. it's lovely. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Why, why can I not guess? What? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Oppenheimer? No, that was your number wow. five. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah, who was... Fast X? Wait, hold on. Hold on. I'm looking at movies. <laughs> I guess I'm talking about you in the line. Killers of you the Flower Moon? Retard. No, but I want to talk about that, too. It can't be The Expendables 4. <laughs> I like the rabbit hole you've decided to enter. It was not that Skinkamarink movie, was it? 
No, I haven't seen that. Is it good? I couldn't make it to it. I, I have no idea what to make of it. <laughs> uh, it's got like a star and a half. Could, could you give me another line that would make me get it? Or am I just completely missing something obvious? What was a movie uh, about a beautiful retard this year? I'm ready for more furious bumping. No, furious jumping. Mission Impossible? Oh my god, listeners, are you here for this? <laughs> it's minute. happening right now. Hold on, hold on, wait. When was Tom the Stum last time? When was what? Five seconds ago. <laughs> wait, hold on, Nothing. I know. Wait, those aren't Barbie lines, are they? <laughs> yeah, what a beautiful retard is a Barbie line. <laughs> is it Asteroid cool. City? No, I didn't see that. Kind of falling off the Wes Anderson. Man, I have two Kelly. But I could not make it through Asteroid City either. Although I do want to say, one of. So do you know? Wait, I'm sorry. I, I'll get back to. That. I don't. I don't know. What a beautiful retard. This is just getting ridiculous now. So I should just say. Do the so listeners just... all know? Is it Priscilla? Yeah, I think. He... <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, like maybe... I like your guesses though so much. It's hard for me to like just say it because you keep guessing such weird guesses. Guess Maestro next. Maestro is a great movie if you want to know eh. what Bradley Cooper sounds like with a cold. Well, that is on my bucket list. <laughs> I didn't like Maestro either. I hated Maestro. Um, I, I don't... Not hate it. I just didn't care for it. Kelly Wand, I, I honestly can't think of... I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm at a dead end. Wow. When you tell me, am I going to go, oh, yeah? It's poor things. Oh, I didn't see it. I did oh, not get shit. to see it. Oh, shit. I, I know you saw it. You recommended it, and you told me to go see it high as fuck. And I was like, okay. Yeah. But I, I've had a friend in town, and just the scheduling things we've been going through. I just no, didn't, take a friend. I didn't get to it. I mean, I want to see uh, it. None of my jokes will land now, because you're not going to laugh. Well, and I love Yorgos Lanthimos. I, uh, you know, the favorite wasn't my favorite of his. I'm more of a killing of a sacred deer guy. Um, and uh, the what's the one where they kill the donkey? Lobster. Um but I definitely want to see poor things. I'm very glad it's your favorite. What can you say, uh, knowing that I have not seen it yet? Wow, Kelly, what I'm so I, I had no idea this would be your favorite. I'm I'm just stunned. Okay, go ahead, talk. All right, I'll say things that I because I really don't want to spoil anything for you because I went into that thing looking at the poster, going, oh, it's going to be like the favorite. Yeah, that's, so that's what I was expecting. That's my thinking all right. because all I know about it, Kelly Wand, I haven't even seen the poster. Is I think Emma Stone is in it, which makes me think, oh, he's just redoing the favorite. But I have no reason to think that. Okay, keep thinking of that and then go see it. Okay. And, but also be as baked as you were for Top Gun Maverick, please, when you start watching. I was I baked for that. And maybe, and I would strongly advise, and it might be harder to do now because it's, uh, uh, try and see it on the big screen. Okay. There's a lot of visuals going on. Um, okay, here's some just some things I'll say about it that aren't spoilers. Yeah, maybe like thematically or what it reminded you of or how it made you okay, feel. Okay, let me just say, yeah. A, people who think Poor Things was an upset at the Golden Globes over Barbie as best comedy haven't seen Poor Things. Ooh, I didn't know that it beat Barbie in the Golden Globes. It wow. did, and everyone was... I love yeah, that, by the way. it was considered an upset. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I mean, I like Barbie, also, but there, I also, I, I don't need Barbie to get more... Like, I love Barbie's success. God bless Greta, Ger Greta Gerwig, Noah Baumbach for, for it. But I'm I'm over the whole Barbie hysteria. I loved it, but 
yeah. Well, I did too, and it's too... I don't like message movies, even when the message is... Also, I don't... But I really like Barbie. It was really stony. Well, I feel too like of, there, there's an element movie. of Barbie in of what the British would call taking the piss uh, yeah. out of the very message it's delivering. Like, I feel yeah. Barbie is so yes. just wryly self-aware that dumb people can watch Barbie and think, yeah, it said everything I wanted to say, but Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig were also kind of poking fun at some of the things they were being supportive of. And yeah, but gently and like, yeah. I, I just have two questions for like, say women who love that movie. Like, okay, just two quick questions about Barbie. A, what's Carla from Cheers' ghost's relationship <laughs> to the board of directors, <laughs> a white male board of directors who inherit, like, does she hate them? Like, why doesn't she use her grudge powers on them if she's a ghost? <laughs> but if she doesn't hate them, she's spending eternity benignly haunting her ex-workplace, which is fucking weird. Right. Arguably, like, I don't get her motivation. Arguably or... spoilers, but, but, uh, but fair point. Yeah. They're... <laughs> I... And then my other question is, weren't Ken and Barbie always dating? <laughs> I think any woman, like, before they saw the Barbie movie, would have gone, oh, yeah, they're, they're boyfriend, girlfriend. Kelly, one. I think now, we, I think we can agree this movie took some licenses with canon. It did, and I, <laughs> like you said, I think it undercuts the message. And that female anthem scene that uh, Ugly Betty says, like everything she says, applies to men too. Like we're constantly judged on. Our sure, opinions. sure. Well, uh, nah, uh, I would push back on that in a normal discussion. But but I, I take your point that. Yeah, I think social media has caused a schism between the sexes, Tom, that will take generations to untangle. But the movie was really funny. But I felt like I was at a Sex in the City movie, but on acid and with good writing. Kelly like one. Like oh my god, I don't it. think, I don't think you fully appreciate how brilliant what you just said was. And I would like to try. I would like you to try to say it a second time. I felt like I was at a Sex in the City movie, but on acid and with good writing. Kelly one, that's an amazing summation of Barbie. I'm not even joking. <laughs> Seriously. Like you say that and I go, um, yeah, yeah. That's in a nutshell. Like I know it's not yeah. for me. Like it's if I'm gonna go to Spy Kids or something. Yeah, Spy Kids. But here's the thing. Spy Kids are a tough watch. I've tried those movies. They're they pander to children. Barbie, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like the pandering to anyone. Right. And that's the thing, is like Barbie's so it's I mean, like I try to tune out messages, it's just a habit I've had from childhood. Cause like, like I like the Pippi movies. Like to me, those were like really good children's movies. The what movies? Really to teach me anything. Pippi Longstocking. I thought she was fucking. Was her name awesome. Pippin? Pippi. Pippin. P i p p i. You never saw Pippi movie? She's Pippin Longstocking. No, Pippi. Pippin. P no. Oh God. You're insane. Shoot me. <sighs> Pippet. Pippin. I think you're thinking of Great Expectations again. No, Pippin. P i p p i n. No, that's from Lord of the Rings, Tom. That's also a masculine. Right? No, that's Perry or Periwinkle. You think it's Pippin Longstocking? <laughs> Clearly, you've never seen any of the movies. Well, I haven't. Are that sure? You know what? Do you understand Pippi's powers and her ways? Oh, she has. I thought it was like a Little House on the Prairie thing. Oh my God, Tom! You got to see a Pippi movie. They're fucking crazy. She's a. She's. Oh. A, she was my. I was part of the Pippi fan club, thereby proving that we don't need this guys versus chicks thing you know i like there's a lot of women you know what kelly wand i think i'm thinking of the dog in jaws pippin was the name of the dog in jaws oh right well yeah yeah okay that's Pippi's, my confusion um, okay 
she's super strong and she lives in an abandoned house by herself and her friends are Tommy and Annika and she's uh has like a chest of gold and her dad's kidnapped by pirates. What? And, um, <laughs> Sounds like the Goonies. She makes a giant bed with a hot air balloon. And Sounds like the bright. Goonies, Kelly Wand. Why would I be interested in this? No, she's just more, and you know what? She's cute, but she's not hot at all. And she's like kind of freakish looking and she dresses really freakishly. Like she doesn't give a shit what anybody thinks about so her. The, and that was like a really she's the, important. She's the Kate McKinnon Barbie. Right. She's the Kate McKinnon Barbie. But, but um, yeah, she's just good. I don't know. I'm a pippy pen. Anyway, Pippin. Wow. So yeah, um, so Barbie, yeah. Barbie didn't make either of our lists. But poor things made your list. Why did Barbie? Poor things does everything Barbie does better, which is ironic because I used to get those two actresses mixed up. Because in Wolf of Wall Street, I thought I was seeing this body. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, right? Uh, right. But I ah shit. Oh, and one last thing I'll say about poor things, and I just I it's my favorite movie of the year easily. Like um, Tom, you'll like this. Both of the Sanctuary actors are in it. Are you serious? Playing, yep. Playing Margaret the ancestors Qualley. of their sanctuary characters. So Margaret Qualley and Christopher Abbott are in yep. poor thing. They're in a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. You know who else is in it? That's fucking incredible. I kind of want you not to tell me because you have already blown my mind. Okay. Well, I haven't even told you one of the other best performers in the movie. That's uh, Kelly Wong. I feel like I should go see it and we should do a podcast on it. I don't know if I could opsize it. It's too powerful. I mean, then we, we don't have to have an opsize for every podcast, but yeah, we do. if this is something, we, well, then let me do it. You want to do the opsize for poor things? Sure. I'll listen to that no, shit. No way. <laughs> uh, but all right. I, I, you know, no, I'm super. Oh, psyched. I thought you'd seen it. That's so funny to me. I think it would have been on your list. So it's okay. I, yeah, okay, good, good. Well, you already have an asterisk. I will, I will go, I will go. Uh, I'm excited to see it. Uh, can we move on to awards or is there anything else you need to say about poor things? Uh, no, but let's, should we talk about the other movies that didn't make the list, but we have like things to say about them? Let's do our awards first because okay. I use I actually only have one movie I wanted to talk about other than this, but yeah. Sure, sure. But can we do the awards first? Cause I use the awards to talk about some of the things that didn't make my top 10. So then afterwards I'll talk about the movies that I couldn't squeeze in. Okay, no, that makes sense. All right. So, Kelly Wand, what was your most surprising movie of 2023? The one that uh, your reaction was not what you expected. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of movies that sucked, but I expect them to suck, like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Oh, my Destiny. God, right? Yeah. Um, I will say about that, about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, though. My reaction to that was... That's what I thought would be. Well, my, my reaction to it is if, you know, if you've got a top UFOs... I guess that's one way to do it. It's <laughs> like, like, what time? All right, Kaya! Oh my God! Did you oh, really come just on. ruin? What's the statute of limitations on that movie? Is come there? On, I don't know. I just want now. the listeners to know. I danced around it. You were the one that rolled it out. <laughs> I don't think I've ruined that movie. Should I bleep that? that? Sure. Okay, hold on. Let me mark when I'm bleeping. It's funny when you bleep stuff. All right. So. Uh, I apologize. I feel bad now. All right, 5701, bleep. Okay, so, I mean, I, I don't, I honestly wouldn't care if that had been, well, also, I wonder, I don't even know, is that in the trailers? Surely no. it's not, yeah, yeah. No, I ruined okay. it, you're right. All right, but anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, back to your most surprising. 
Although the title gives it away, too. But anyway. Um, Dial of Destiny list? gives nothing away. A Dial of it Destiny does. is a generic name for a doodad that does fuck all. That means nothing, Taiwan. Dial of Destiny are empty words. Gauge of Fate. Kelly kingdom of uh, skulls. <laughs> Those words meant a lot. That kingdom. Did. All right, don't don't set me off on that stupid Indiana. You know what? That Indiana Jones movie. Even the skulls plural part was wrong. There's only one. But go on. What no, no, no. There's a whole room of them. If you remember. No, end. I thought he puts one. She puts one on, and then they all turn into one. I thought. I thought there was a whole room, one. a chamber full of skulls at the end. Tom, you got to watch it again. You missed a lot of interesting <laughs> things. Anyway, right. most surprising. Yeah, 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 yeah. Enough of our nonsense. So the most surprising. I'm actually curious if you saw this movie because we never even talked about it. Um, did you see Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves with Chris Pine? Kelly, one of my favorite thingies didn't make the my reward was the the fat dragon that chases them. Yeah, I love fat dragon. Fat dragon yeah, yeah, is yeah. my favorite dragon of recent. Um, I'll say my favorite dragon. Period. Even better than Smog in the classic Peter Jackson movie, Battle of Five Armies. Which I love. No joke. I love that movie. Jesus Christ. Yep, just that one. I hate the other Hobbit movies. Uh, Pippin. But I did love... Oh, Pippin's the Hobbit, too. That's why that sounds familiar. Man, I'm so dumb. Anyway, I love Fat Dragon. I did like the first fight scene, but otherwise I could take it or leave it. But what was surprising about it to you, Kelly Wong? Oh, I thought it was just really jaunty and fun. And I was yeah. like, I mean, I, the first Dungeons and Dragons movie from 20 years ago with Thora Birch and um, Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons. It's 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 hysterical, but it's really bad. And the writing's awful. And it was made by like some noob who was like 20. And the guy with blue lips was in it. Remember that guy? I, I never saw it. I, I did not see the earlier Dungeons what? and Dragons. Why would I see that? Oh, it's funny. It's it's unintentionally funny. Right. Um, it's just bad. It's just interestingly bad and like, holy shit, this got made kind of movie. But this one, the dialogue was really... Okay, it wasn't Baldur's Gate 3 good, which would have been great, like an R-rated fucking Dungeons and Dragons. Sure, yeah. Like Shadowheart right. and Hobbs. But uh, for, for, a, for a movie with Dungeons and Dragons in the title, I was totally into this yeah. movie. It was really... Uh, it never stopped moving and all the characters were interesting to me and I liked how like spell mechanics became like plot points and stuff. Like, oh, if the mirror falls over, we got to worry about this happening, that kind of stuff. I will really say, cool. Kelly Wan, there was a whole rash of action movies uh, like Indiana Jones, Fast X, Mission Impossible from the year, yeah. Expendables 4. Like those big budget action movies did nothing for me, but Dungeons and Dragons I enjoyed way more than any of those. Yeah. Fast X is my runner up most surprising because I hated Fast 9, but Fast 10, uh, Jason Momoa was really doing it for me. I thought he was really funny, especially the scene where he's painting his toenails. Jason Momoa's Joker is my favorite yeah. new character in the Fast Act, in the Fast franchise. And, and He and Dom have a history, Tom. That's what separates this movie from the other <laughs> movie. Fast and Furious. I will see Fast X.1, or whatever they call it, just because oh, yeah. of Oh, yeah, and it ends on a cliffhanger. Which, please. How bold. Yeah, 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 right, right. <laughs> no, but I was laughing a lot during it, and I. the only thing I would say is the Italy part of Fast 10 with the ball running around Rome. Where did I see that ripped off? There was another it was from action. Fast Five. No, no, no. There was another action movie this year. Maybe Mission Impossible. Didn't Mission Impossible have a similar Rome chase 
the same thing with the yeah, stairs. Yeah, there wasn't a ball. It was about weird. No, it was no, about no. Having a little car. Right, right. But the little car went down the stairs, and the big trucks would just charge through. And it seemed like some of the same areas for the action sequences in Fast X. I just remember yeah, thinking... Yeah, and I like to think they were filming at the same time on the same day. Well, and, and I, that both those movies occupy the same universe, and that, like, the news for Rome that day was like, oh, and by the way, also this happened. And I can just imagine, too, the filmmakers on Crossover. either side being super bummed to see, oh, they stole our, they, they stole our gimmick. Like, that was our set piece. Um, yeah. It's like when two people, when two celebrity... Uh, Women wear the same dress to a ball or something. <laughs> like I wouldn't know about that, Tom. Well, both of these movies had the same action set piece. Kelly Wan, sometimes oh, right. if you go to a ball, two women are wearing the same thing. They don't like that. Huh. Doesn't sit right with them. But then won't they go, oh, well, one of us wore it better. And then if they're confident they're going to win, then it's more. Kelly Wan, you'll have to take that up with the women. Oh, God forbid. But. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, my most surprising. Very good. I thought it was a pleasant surprise. Here's my most surprising. It's a movie that I watched and didn't like. And Hmm. I had conversations with people. Expected to like it. Uh, I'm sorry? You expected to like it? So it's the most disappointing. Um, No, I was kind of neutral. (laughs) Um, It's it's by a very famous director who I like. Some of his movies can be hit or miss. I watched it, didn't like it, and then proceeded to have a discussion with it about some of the folks on the forum at quarter to three who offered some different perspectives that I thought made very good points. So I went mm. back and I rewatched it with those points in mind and kind of think I might have either missed the point the first time or there was an entirely artificial interpretation of this movie that redeems it for me. I don't know which is the is the answer, and in a way, I don't care. Um, so, the movie is David Fincher's The Killer. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I liked it. So, you did watch you it. Into it. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. So, I, my confusion... Another skinny man getting laid. Yay! Does he get laid? I don't think he does. Well, he has a girlfriend. He does have a girlfriend, but I don't think he has time for sex in this movie. Uh, but... Here's my issue with the movie, Kelly Wan. Let me ask you this question. Can you trust what his character tells you? Does his character uh, lie? Um, well, he breaks his rules, I would say. Are you saying that what we see on screen is unreliable? Like he's hallucinating, classic Tom Chick, Black Summer? Um, I don't know about Harrell? hallucinating, but I do think... He is absolutely 110% full of shit. I think he is um, oblivious. I think he is unaware of his surroundings. I think he constantly fails at his endeavors in this movie. So it is mystifying in this movie that he has the resources to draw from of a successful assassin. So I wonder if this movie, and this might be pushing it, is about the inherent privilege that white men experience in the workplace. Um, And I think there are some very subtle clues throughout the killer to indicate that everything you hear in the voiceover is bullshit and should not be trusted. Namely, 
my contention about the killer is that it's about a confoundingly unreliable narrator. And hmm. normally, I might think that that's a push, that that's kind of a strained interpretation. But I would simply remind people that David Fincher pretty much wrote the book on the cinematic language for unreliable narrators with Fight Club. Right. So I feel in ways, and I don't know if Fincher would agree. I don't know if it would be like me coming to Paul Schrader and saying, oh, my God, I loved your uh, Great Expectation references in Master Gardener. And he would look at me like I was an idiot. But I love The Killer as almost a companion piece to Fight Club as a movie about an unreliable narrator who is full of shit, who is not good at his job, but who almost by this Dunning-Kruger effect has no idea he's not good at his job and that he's full of shit. So that interpretation uh, led me to kind of a different viewing. So I am now surprised at how compelling I found the killer. And it doesn't hurt, by the way. I mean, Fincher is objectively a, just a really solid, confident, just compelling movie director. He knows what he's doing. Um, so even a bad Fincher movie can, can have some spectacle in it. Um, I think there's a lot of evidence for your thesis. Um, and the one that sticks out to me the most are his passport names, which to me would be a huge yep. red flag exactly. to um, Interpol. And, and say what and they are. Say, say what they are. They're the names of um, like 50s and 60s sitcom guys, but they're all white. They're all white dudes. Yeah. Um, 50s and 60s. They're, they're, they're all, yep, shows. they're sitcom characters, which somebody who's actually trying to cover his tracks like why would you yeah. do that why would you make an obvious cultural nod with every single one of your fake names yeah yeah uh, but also things just like i mean it would be spoilers but any set piece in that movie and it has some amazing ones basically falls apart on him does not go according to plan and his whole opening introduction is him painting himself as a meticulously ruthless efficient assassin who knows what he's doing, who has what it takes to do the job. And even, by the way, I love this, even his voiceovers are interrupted. Like, he can't even do his voiceovers yeah. right. I love that as a touch, as a detail. Uh, so that was my most surprising, is I really didn't like The Killer the first time I saw it. Had some conversations about it, which were super fascinating. Uh, Watched it actually two times since then, uh, and now I, I quite enjoy the killer. His first mission, he flubs really stupidly. Oh my god! Like, totally, right? Yeah, like you're saying, but he has some successes too later on, like the secretary. I, think I would, I would. So we can discuss. Like that's a different discussion, but I do have, okay. I do have points to make about why I disagree with that. Uh, and, and there are, and that's some of the conversations. Is each of the encounters? So it's an episodic movie adapted from a French graphic novel. Um, yeah. So I don't know if there are different episodes of the comic or what. I don't know if it's how the comic works. But there are various episodes in the movie, and I think each one is a different clue about who he is and who he is not. Um, and oh, okay. So we, Maybe I'll read the thread. That yeah, yeah, and we can have this convert. We, yeah, I would do a podcast on the killer. Like, uh, yeah. Okay. So. All right, so your most surprising was... Um, 
Wait, Dungeons of Dragons. Oh, right, right, D&D, &D, of course. Fat Dragon, yeah. Kelly Wan, what would you say was your most disappointing? This was an easy one, um, but I feel dumb because I don't know why I was looking forward to this movie. Okay. I think I'm just a sucker for the IP. Um, but for some goddamn reason, I really have high hopes. And you might, you didn't help because you were like, yeah, it's all right, which is way overselling. <laughs> um, the Final Voyage of the Demeter? Oh, I love the sets. Um, I, uh, I love the actors. And I like uh, Davos being in it. Yep, 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 yep. Even though I didn't I like his part. Actor. I really hated his part. I love the actress, but I didn't like like that he was a weaker Those, character. And I was like, oh, how are they going to make a whole movie out of, you know, one chapter in the book where everyone on the ship dies well, from Dracula? Well, they don't, I would argue. They I, don't. They didn't crack it at all, A. And B, they, there's some plot points in that movie that make no fucking sense to me. And it's so enraging. And I think the one that really stands out is they discover... I don't care if I'm spoiling it. Fuck that. <laughs> they discover um, Dracula's coffin... And they go, oh, we found where he sleeps. Ah. They do nothing. They don't throw it overboard. <laughs> they don't burn it. They just leave it alone. And then Dracula handle, does what he expects. And then my other thing, too, is um, at the end in the last so shot scene, right, right. that's okay, what Dracula right. looks like they're, in London. <laughs> I, I do love, like, at the end, they think they're setting it up for a series of movies. Like, it's so Without optimistic at the ending. But the characters of Dracula don't even get mentioned, like Lucy and um, Mina. Well, and no, no, Van but Helsing they go to the, and... the black guy who survived. Like, he's now, there's going to be, like, he's now the main character. That's retcon. Hunting guys. Who... No, no. So, and that's why I'm saying. He did nothing smart in the whole movie, so why am I rooting for him? But that's he's why I'm idiot. saying I don't feel that Last Voyage of the Demeter owes anything to Bram Stoker's Dracula. And instead, it's an effort no. to make a historical alien. Yeah, I'm not even joking. I guess you're right. I mean, that's the, no, I, no, yeah. but I'm just disgusted by that approach. Sure, right? sure. And the execution of sure. it, and the dialogue. I hated everything. I wanted to murder that movie. Yeah. But mostly, just the characters are just really annoying and dumb. And but I love too, Kelly Wan. This is this is my weakness for calling it okay. Um, I loved that miniseries on AMC that adapted Dan Simmons. Um, the oh, terror. I did too. Because yeah. I love the. That's terror. the thing. I'm coming off that. But I love yeah. I love like dramas set on ships like that. And to yeah. its credit, Demeter did have a really good looking set. Um, the costumes, like I just love the setting. Not I enough. love that there was a whole movie on a sailing ship. Um, but I agree. All right, low bar. That, fair enough. Fair enough. But I'm yeah. Can't, you damn fool! Yeah. Fucking Universal can't do anything right. They have all these oh, great that's IPs right. that and was their... shit all over yeah, it. Yeah. Their whole dark universe was fucking dumb. But Kelly Wan, they open with Tom Cruise's The Mummy. That's your hook. Jesus but Christ! But Kelly Wan, Universal obviously get some fucking notes. Right. What? All right. So Kelly Wan, let's go to Sorry. now. Uh, <laughs> your favorite? Oh no, no, my most disappointing. Your most disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, my most disappointing was. Uh... Oh, and this just hurts me so bad to have to say because I love her movies so much, like almost without fail, even that weird Marie Antoinette movie she did. I love Sofia Coppola. So yeah. when she does a movie about Priscilla Presley, I don't have any uh, frame of reference for that. All hmm. I know is about, yeah, it's a chick that was married to Elvis. Okay, we'll, we'll see this movie. Naked Gun. <laughs> but go on. I know her for her more important things. Sofia um, Coppola was in Naked Gun? No, Priscilla Presley was in Naked Gun. 
Oh, 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 I wasn't even thinking of that. Yeah, yeah. So this is about Priscilla Presley as a young girl, like a teenager. Um, yeah. So, so Sofia Coppola makes this movie about this teenager who obviously, like all teenagers in the world, is obsessed with Elvis Presley. But one day, because Elvis Presley tours around doing show or you know concerts uh she has the opportunity to meet him and so a friend of the family says um and they're a very conservative family this is i guess you know in the 50s says hey can we take your daughter priscilla to this event with elvis presley and the family of course is honored so she goes she meets elvis presley elvis presley is smitten with her and what i didn't realize because i'm dumb is that all of this is how Elvis Presley, as a celebrity, basically had pussy delivered to him from around yeah. the world. He would meet these young women, the ones he liked. He would then fly out to, to come have sex with them while he's traveling. And so Priscilla right. Presley was just one of these women. And I was just like, I wanted like I wanted to scream at her. Why are you doing like get out of there? Don't like it. It just felt so just abusive and manipulative and distasteful and the whole approach and common and common. And furthermore, the parents even go along with it. So right. I think the perspective is supposed Payday. to I think investment coming to fruition. Go on. Sorry. But I think the perspective is supposed to be from her view as a young, confused girl dealing with her increased her growing awareness about her sexuality um mm -hmm. I, I think that that's her perspective but i'm watching this movie just outraged at the jeffrey epstein of it all <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which i yeah. know is how it used to work and i shouldn't be but priscilla presley is so good about letting you enter the interior lives of her protagonists that I just didn't want to see this happen to this young girl. And furthermore, Kelly Wand, the actor playing Elvis Presley, was doing it with such a cannily manipulative, oh, shucks, I'm just a hometown guy. Why don't oh, we yeah. sit down here and talk? And I'm sorry they brought you here. It must be super inconvenient. Like, but he knows what he's doing. And Kelly Wand, he is played by that kid from Salzburg, not by Kian, but that Jacob Alondi guy. Oh. So that colored my experience of Saltburn. Um, it's just my disgust with him playing Elvis. Uh, did you see Blonde? I loved Blonde for the I same reason that I hated Priscilla. It's because Blonde was told from the perspective of the confused young woman undergoing all of this mistreatment and horror that was just how it worked back then. Dominic, right. um, shoot, the guy that did Assassination of Jesse James, right? Like, I love his, yeah. his direction in that movie. It was like a horror movie. And yeah. that's what I feel Priscilla Presley's experience as a teenage girl probably was like. Like, that sort of thing is horrific for a girl to have. Yeah. That confusion, that sexual confusion, um, so here's the other thing about Priscilla. I haven't seen it. Here's where you're going to not take me to task. All right, well, I have it. So what do you mean? I, did, I gave up on it. I couldn't stick with it. Because uh, it was too depressing. 
I know it's it's again it gets to when I watch things streaming. If I'd been to see a Sofia Coppola movie at a theater, I never would have left. But because it's streaming and I'm not into it, I just shut it down and go do something else. Maybe it ends with a naked gun montage and then she's empowered and wins. Exactly. Maybe. Who knows? Um, but I was super disappointed that this was the entry into the Sofia Coppola movie. I just couldn't take it and I bailed on it. So I've taken. Wait, I've, I'm sorry. I have a follow up question. Yes. You said that um, you liked Blonde because it was from the point of view of her. Like, whose point of view is this from? I think it's supposed to be from Priscilla Presley's. And by the way, the actress they get to play Priscilla is a young woman named Kaylee Spiney, who I really, really like. I noticed her way back in Pacific Rim 2. She's a fantastic young actress. I think she's going places. But she's so meek and passive. Um, She's basically being handed around through most of the movie. We don't really see... Like her reaction to what's happening in the way but she's that, like fourteen, right? I th- yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I think she's like, like blonde is told very much from Marilyn Monroe's perspective, uh, yeah. and her mother. Like it gets into a lot about her life, whereas Priscilla, what the part I saw about a half hour, just felt like a half hour slice of a teenager, teenager, basically being occasionally booty called into Elvis Presley's bedroom. Um, it, it just didn't... Blonde, too, she makes some decisions. Like, she gets fucked over a lot, but she, like, she has agency in some things. Well, and Blonde, Blonde also gets at why she... Like, the, the, the parental dynamic like, that yeah. gets set up with her in Blonde... I think it's Julianne Nicholson who plays her mother Blonde. in Blonde. She's great. Uh, yeah, but that, that, that sets up immediately an almost hyper-stylized horror movie dynamic like blonde is constantly playing with just that hyper unreality of the hollywood world i think um whereas priscilla should have been my most surprising feels i don't think that was from last year though was it i think blonde might be a couple years old i don't know time's weird kelly wand what is your favorite little thingy from a movie in 2023 uh, Bo is afraid. Best sex scene. Thank you. Remind me about the sex scene. Thank you what much. can you tell people about the sex scene in Bo is afraid? Uh, it's with Parker Posey. And I don't want to spoil it. All right. But, uh, there's the Joaquin Phoenix, uh, who's never had sex. It's his first sex. I believe. Man, having Parker Posey uh, play you over out of your virginity, that's, uh, what can go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that had a nice twist to it. And uh, I just want to say still interested. <laughs> oh, Parker Posey. Yeah. Yeah. No, no argument for me there. <laughs> Do you know oh. who Emily Hampshire is? No, but I like that name already. She kind of replaces Parker Posey for me. Yeah. She's the new Parker. She's uh, mainly famous for being the. Uh, Surly Hotel Manager in Schitt's Creek. Oh, yeah. Um, something-y. What's her name? Emily Maybe. Hampshire. My brother's like, she was on Jeopardy, and my brother's like, she's so dumb. Oh, my God. <laughs> What's her name? Bobby or Billy? Emily Hampshire. Oh, I don't, I don't know the character. I don't remember the character name, but the actress is Emily Hampshire. I almost had it. Frankie. It's something like that. It's something like Frankie. Kelly won my favorite little thingy. Uh, it's from a movie I enjoyed. I wouldn't 
say I loved it. Uh, and it's kind of a sports movie, which is weird for me because I don't like sports movies. Um, there's a movie called Nyad, which is uh, huh. about a net binning plane, uh, a long distance swimmer who I think in the 60s tried to swim the gap between Florida and Cuba. She didn't make it. Uh, uh, furthermore, another dude made it in the interval. Uh, but many, many years later, when she was in her 60s, when she was an older woman, she thought she was going to try it again, which seems to me absurd on the face of it. Because if a young 20-year-old long-distance swimmer can't make it, how on earth is a 65-year-old woman going to do it? Just yeah. the physics of aging doesn't just doesn't allow it. However, she did do it, and one of the things that's fascinating about the movie is explaining why she was able to do it now, but she wasn't able to do it then. Uh, I really appreciated learning that. That stuff is new to me. I don't know the first thing about long distance swimming or the perils of it in the open ocean, um, but. Nyad was really good, just about the procedural elements of that. But more importantly, Nyad is about this woman who at 65 decided to do it. And, and actually I just made up that age. I don't know. She's older. She's my age. She's older than me probably. Uh, and about her friend who she pressed into service to be her coach during the process. So Annette Benning plays the swimmer. And ironically... There seems to be less Annette Benning in the movie because she spends most of it swimming. Whereas Jodie Foster plays her coach, and I feel like there's more Jodie Foster in the movie because she's always on the boat watching her friend. Because the friend swimming has a boat accompany them. Uh, and part of what happens is, you know, they're fed from a tube. Because this takes, this takes like two days of straight swimming to do it. Um, Jesus. And so, you, you know, you go to the bathroom in the water, obviously. You don't sleep uh, to eat. You swim up along the boat, and they feed a tube down, and you put it in your mouth, and you suck food and water from it. Um, but it's an absolutely grueling process. Um, so, I really enjoyed this movie, but mainly the main thing I enjoyed about it, and I hadn't seen her in anything in a while, um, but Jodie Foster still has so much screen presence, uh, especially, too, I adore how she wears her age so proudly. Uh, uh, and Annette Bening, too, to a lesser degree. Like, sometimes I wonder, has Annette Bening had some work done? And, and also, by the way, by necessity, Annette Bening and Nyad look super puffy a lot because she's been in the water. Um, so it's easy for Jodie Foster to just look awesome. Like the way her arms are cut, she's thin, and her skin has that weathered look of, you know, someone who retired to Florida and the weather agreed with them. Um, so my favorite little thingy, Kelly Wand, in Nyad, Jodie Foster's character wears a do-rag. And oh my God, how she pulls off that do-rag. I was so, like, I love her do-rag in Nyad. Uh, wow. Uh, and it's partly jealousy. Like, I don't think I can pull off a do-rag. Pull off a do-rag? Yeah, I have tried many times. Like, I don't know if you just need a bunch of hair under there or a certain shaped head. 
But I always feel like an imposter when I put on a do-rag. So I'm jealous of people that can do it. I thought that Jodie Foster did it amazingly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she she's super tan, right? So it's maybe like, that's part of a... it. Like you need that that. I need to see skin. the colors and really analyze it. I need to see like how what at what angle it's at and what hair is poking out under it. And I need to see things. To, to be fair, Kelly Wan, I think it's a big help that it's Jodie Foster underneath it. Really? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to Danny DeVito. Exactly right, right. Danny DeVito in a in a do rag. I don't know if you can pull it off. Maybe he can, but uh, yeah, probably not to the degree. Uh, what about Vern Troyer and Goldmember? Don't know. Maybe he could. Maybe he could. What about Pippin Longstocking? I feel like that's a trick question, and she does wear a do rag. Well, should I watch that movie? Would I like it, or do I just want to skip to the do rag? No, I don't think Nyad is for you because it it ends up being a uh, triumph of the will sports movie. Um, I like sports movies more. Well, you know what? Here's actually the thing that I think you would appreciate, and that I also this is what initially drew me into Nyad. Um, Initially, before she decides that she's going to try redo this swim, there are scenes of the two of them hanging out. And they've been lifelong friends. And I feel like there was a certain kind of friendly interaction that people have after they've been through the process of raising families and grinding away at their careers where they're just old and they have a bunch of time and they hang out with each other. And that's exactly what I was going to say, Kelly Wand. I feel the same way about a lot of my friends is some of them have their, their careers are behind them. Some of them, they have families, but their kids are in college. Like I feel there's this post adult return to, it's not childhood, but it's the leisureliness of childhood where we're just going to sit around and talk for three hours, even though we maybe had other things we were supposed to do all day. Like, I just have that easy relationship with so many of my friends and I just truly value it. Uh, And I loved seeing that presented in Nyad and recognizing some of my relationships uh, between the two women. I loved that. Yeah. Huh. All right. So a do-rag for me and Kelly Wand, a sex scene for you. (laughs) How? No surprise there. Well. So, Kelly one. Well, from you, there it was surprising. I wouldn't have expected you to say do rag, whereas I, I'm rarely surprising. Well, can, I'm most disappointing more. So I've been, I, I've been. Uh, there've been a couple times recently. I've been on a road trip. I'm about to take one. One thing oh. I've discovered: a big old hat with a huge brim is way better than sunglasses because you tilt your head, and it affects the amount of light that is spilling into your eyes. So now, when I drive, instead of sunglasses, I have this outrageous, it's like you would wear in a white out cream, like ice cream suit. It's like a, bla- a white fedora, just with a big old floppy brim. And Kelly Wand, I only wear it for practical purposes. I'm, I was going to say, it, sunglasses are more about looking cool. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. But the hat. Like cheating on tests and fast times originally. Yeah, that, that as well, that works. Uh, but the hat is super practical. But I would feel if I wore that hat out in the open, people would think, 
uh, he's trying to look cool and he's not quite pulling it off. <laughs> right. So I don't do the hat. He's a Jodie Foster to show. Yeah, why can't I just wish I'd been a celebrity so I could wear hats and do rags? But Dingus could wear those hats. Like, goddamn, uh-huh. Dingus could pull off a hat like nobody's business. Um, he pulled off most clothing off. That is true. Dingus, very good looking fellow. Dapper man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, speaking of Dingus, Kelly Wand, let's you and I see. I what... clean up well. That's my. I have never seen that. One day you'll have to show me. <laughs> Kelly Wand. I haven't done it yet, I just suspect. Ah, right. You're guessing you would clean up well. I'm hoping. Okay, yeah. yes. Back to what your segue was. So, I. Uh... What do you think Christian's number one movie of 2023 would have been? I mentioned this to you earlier is let's both guess uh, and see if we can argue effectively whether it's one or the other or whether we disagree. What do you think his favorite movie would have been for the year? Uh, I just want to say since we didn't do this last year, I think his favorite movie last year would have been The Menu because food. (laughs) I think that might have been too grim to hit his number one spot but i do agree Maybe. it would be highly ranked yeah he'd go oh i want to make those yeah. especially that burger <laughs> oh the burger well um, yeah yeah but this year i would think dingus would have sprung for um a movie i'm not sure if you saw called fremont um it's about an afghani girl played by Aneda Wally Zada. She plays a girl named Danya, and she's one of those really quiet characters, very quiet. And she's, she's like a former um, translator for the U.S. Army, and now she lives in Fremont, California. So far, and it sounds like looks... the origin story for Reality Winner. Really? Oh, good. Well, just in that well, she, she moves to a town, she works for a contractor, a government thing. All right, let's see if the similarities pile up. Uh, and she works at a fortune, she writes, uh, well, she doesn't write initially, but she works at a fortune cookie factory. Oh, oh I was thinking of, when you said translator, I was thinking like government documents. My mind immediately went there. Okay. No. And this is the part I'm excited to tell you. It also features Greg Turkington as a psychiatrist. No. Oh my God. Just like, uh, all our stallions feature Tim yeah. Heidecker as a psychiatrist. See? Boom. So, do you know? Did, and there's a part, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a part where he totally does something that, like, it totally reminds you of Greg from On Cinema, where he, like, he, he shows a book, basically. I don't want to, if, if, like, you might actually see this movie. No, I will see it. I, especially if you it. think Dingus would appreciate it. Cause I, I, can... I think this would have been Dingus's favorite movie. I think my runner up is The Holdovers. So, I'm going to go with Holdovers. I didn't see Fremont, obviously, but I think. Dingus would have responded to just the extreme humanism in the holdovers for how it it extends so much empathy to such unlikable characters. Uh, And it makes you like them. Um, And I think this bothered me as well. Like I've said, you know, Kiernan just is shooting up. He's an amazing, tall, beautiful blonde kid with a deep Mm. voice. Um, and, you know, he's in college now. Just imagining the prospect of Kiernan being sent to a war, like, yeah. tears me up. And I think that Christian just would have reacted very strongly to that undercurrent of those boys' lives. 
and hold yeah. over. Or even neglecting your son like that to be left over or held over. Yeah, 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 exactly. In the yeah. bitter snow for Christmas, yeah. like that would have. Um, and, and this is weird too, but the whole, yeah. Well, there, there were, and there were so many, so I, so Christian uh, was uh, in a very loving relationship with a woman for many years before he died. And that woman had a child from a previous marriage. And that child, um, Christian was a very important father figure to that child. Uh, and I still keep in touch with that kid. I saw him the other day. His name is Leon. And he is an incredibly gifted young man. Uh, and I know that he feels the loss of Christian very keenly. Um, but one of the things that Leon has to deal with in his life is that his own father is suffering from a degenerative, degenerative cerebral, like neurological disorder and has mm -hmm. basically lost his personality. So there's a oh. moment where that sort of illness is referenced in holdovers that I think also, because Christian was basically a father figure to a boy who was suffering with that same thing, seeing his father lose his mind and basically die before his body died in front of him. Uh, uh. I think that would have absolutely just gone right to Christian's heart. Uh, I just think holdovers just would have touched him in so many significant ways uh, that, that that's the one he probably would have resonated most with. That my dad died when I was 30, which felt young at the time. And I look back on as young. And I, whenever I see older dad characters in any movie or TV, I always like compare it to like what my dad would have said at this age or like what he would have told me now. So it's like, it stays with you forever. Like you never really. I'm kind of jealous. Cause I didn't grow up with a dad. My dad left when I was like three years old. If that, I have very vague memories of him and my mother fighting when I was a little huh. kid and was scared. But otherwise, I didn't see that guy until he just arbitrarily, somewhere like high school and college, decided to sort of reach out and have me come visit him and stay with him for summer. So my dad was this non-existent presence who at certain random arbitrary points in my life wanted to be my friend and would then just vanish. <laughs> so. The whole mm. concept of what a dad means to me. Like the wrestler. God, I don't even remember the father figure in the wrestler, but. Well, it was the wrestler. He was like. Well, oh, with Rachel Evan Wood. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, the, the concept of fatherhood, just, I, it's, it's this, this. You only got that from movies. Maybe that's why. Well, that's I, the thing. It's this, it's this miraculous thing I see in movies, and I don't quite know what slot to put it in. And I don't know how to interpret it, but I know I resonate with it in certain ways, and. Uh, yeah. Oh my Man, God, Kelly Wand, we're, we're psychoanalyzing each other. Yeah, and it's yeah, and kids that we know. <laughs> All right, well, but, Kelly Wand, let's talk about some other movies that didn't make our list. Uh, what What are things that you felt you need to bring up real quick uh, as a, maybe a runner up? We talked about Barbie. We both liked that. Um, did you see the only one I? Yep. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Did you see well, I... Haunting in Venice? No. I don't like uh, the Poirot movies. I mean, I'm okay with them. They're just big star-studded boondoggles, whatever. Haunt... Yeah, I don't like them either. Haunting in Venice, I liked because <laughs> it was all about trying to poke a chink in the armor 
of its Mary Sue character, Hercule Poirot. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the yeah. whole premise of Haunting in Venice is, hey, maybe there is something supernatural going on here. What do you have to say to that, Hercule Poirot? And huh. he is forced to concede at times. So it's kind of like the movie that breaks down his superpower. <laughs> uh, and by the way, I know Dingus would love that because Dingus is a huge Brenoff fan. Oh, I think he's a bad choice for Poirot. Like he's not mousy enough. I agree. He's just kind of too handsome and. Normal. Well, he's too. Well, he's too stage actory. I feel. Yeah. He's too expansive and big. He's not he's too the detective. Cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but I remember thinking, even in, like even as burly as Kenneth Branagh is compared to the Poirot in my head. Like at the end of Murder in the Orient Express, it's like, why don't they all just kill him? How <laughs> <laughs> right, right, no right, exactly. to kill Poirot? I'm I mean, that's because they're all proper and British and they know not to murder the authorities. Or the or the goal is to outwit him and they're like really vain. Right, right. Maybe. If they couldn't outwit him, if they're beaten. Yeah. yeah. All right. Are the other runners up? Haunting in Venice, huh? Okay. Yep, yep, yep. I, okay. Well, what you said was really intriguing, like the idea that the supernatural. Wait, are you saying the antagonists that he faces are supernatural, or his genius at solving crimes is supernatural? Oh no, no, that his that that uh, the antagonist is arguably supernatural. He's in like a ghost story. Okay. Right, okay. and he and he's a ghost story. So town of the Baskervilles with. Yep, Perot. exactly. And he's insisting there's nothing supernatural here, but he keeps being wrong about reasons that he thinks. Like, it keeps showing him up, saying, yep, it's supernatural. Maybe you need to rethink your worldview, Poirot. So it's, it's basically about uh, Hercule Poirot's vulnerabilities, which I don't think the other movies were about. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, Kelly Wand, it clearly is riffing on Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now because it's set in Venice. Like those dark bridges and canals, it loves that stuff. Is there a dwarf? I'm not going to tell you. Interesting. Oh, that's a yes. All right, so Kelly Wanda, what what are some other runners-up? I just have one I wanted to mention because it was on my list for a while and it was kind of a big deal and I just wanted to give my couple thoughts on it and see if you saw it. Um, I did finally see, finally, like when I was just like, Last weekend, I was like uh, trying to scramble to see all these movies in time to do the podcast, uh-huh. and so this was one of them I watched. And it, like I said, it was on my list. Uh, did you see Killers of the Flower Moon? Uh oh, sounds like you did. God. Okay, what did you like about it? <laughs> I'm not saying I did. Oh, I, oh, oh. but I did like it. Um, I just thought here's what my my main takeaway okay. and what yep. I, why it's not on my list because the more I thought about it, the more I go. This seems like a flaw. Like, I don't, I don't, still don't get it. It was one of those movies like, uh, what's the one, uh, the beach house or the lake house? What's the one about the, the sea virus that takes over? The beach house. The lake house is the Keanu beach house. Reeves. And do you remember what you said about that movie? Uh, I'm, uh, no, what? You said it's a, it's a, it's a movie you really like, but it's about the wrong character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be about Jake Weber and the other woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's how I felt about Killers of the Flower Moon. Excellent I had point. No idea. Oh my God, Kelly Wand, run Why with this. Leo's I love what you're saying. The focus of this, yeah, he's an idiot and he sucks and he never has a moral awakening. Like he's a but dud. That's fine too. He's a complete dud throughout the movie. He's a dud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And, and, and so we're talking about Leonardo like a... DiCaprio's character. You have a dynamic actor playing basically a non-entity who just goes with the flow. Yeah, yeah. It's like his black mass or something. It was just so inert, wasn't it? It's the first time I thought he's aging. Like, I didn't think that in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. But, like, maybe it was just the nature of the role. Because he always had the same expression on his face. Like, kind of a, ugh. But, like, he was so, um... The thing that was frustrating about that character was just he was very easily swayed by De Niro. Like, he was just... He didn't have any agency. He was so a, it's like we're following a character who's, like... A dupe. He was a dud and yeah, a dupe. Yeah, he's a dupe. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we so get like a three-and-a-half-hour movie. I don't know how long it was. We get a super-long movie, and I did see all of this one, uh, about a dud dupe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, Lily, it made me, it makes, it comes at the expense of Lily Gladstone's character because she comes off as really intelligent. Right. And, like, why the fuck would she marry that guy or trust him? Now, you do know why it's a movie about that guy and not her, right? I'm assuming because it's his memoir. Oh, I didn't realize that that. I I was just going to say because Leonardo DiCaprio is a more bankable star. Yeah, but he's going to be Even then, I mean, that makes sense too, but I would say he wouldn't have to. I mean, he's in almost every scene. Right. I mean, De Niro's a more bankable star, and actually his character would have been a more interesting focus than Well, but that's what I'm saying. Because he's running the show. Right, but that's what I'm saying is the movie is going to spend most of its time with the bankable star. If we'd had Lily Gladstone as the main character, if it was a Lily Gladstone movie with DiCaprio in a supporting role... I would have just had Leo play the De Niro part and make him the focus then. Or so. I don't know. It's just like he... There's no difference between Leo's character and like the five or six other like henchmen, killer types right. that are in the movie. And they're all... And But I still like the movie because it had cool visuals and I was never bored during it. And uh, it was a part of history I didn't know. And so it it wasn't quite what I expected either. So I like that. Um, like, I thought it was just going to be, you know, this, this Indian's getting shot, basically, for three hours. But it wasn't. It was about them getting seduced by scumbag white men. Like, Mary, I mean, I do Mary. want to appreciate Scorsese raising awareness about the injustices that were visited on Native Americans. I'm all for that. And that, by Well, the, the idea that there was a rich tribe, too, was interesting. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The richest people on the planet. I don't know. Like, And then it was 1930s. I, I like that period a lot. Um, I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. I apologize. But no, I, I do like uh, that Scorsese wants to raise awareness about some of the specific injustices because it's super easy to just, oh, we stole their land and that's the subtotal of it. And then I feel bad about it and I don't want to watch the movie because it's like, yeah, I know, we're fucking garbage. Thanks for reminding me, I'm aware. But it's like, if it's stuff, because, you know, I I mean, like, I didn't know about Juneteenth until I saw Watchmen. That's not Juneteenth. That's the Tulsa Massacre. But um, it, Whatever, it nerd. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Race but nerd. that's another thing, Kelly. Well, like, Juneteenth and Tulsa Massacre, Massacre are Juneteenth, not so much, but certainly the Tulsa Massacre I think yeah, any increasing awareness it. about that comes from it being portrayed in popular media like Lovecraft Country and um, uh, uh, Watchmen. Uh, right. And also, by the way, they brought up the Tulsa Massacre and Killers of the Flower Moon. Like yes. Tulsa Massacre now, it's all the rage. <laughs> uh, I know, it's really popular. And, it's in vogue. And that's fine. Like, I, I do like these moments being highlighted, but 
I feel that it would be better to tell stories from the perspectives of people within the culture. I yeah. would have much rather had this movie been about the interesting character, namely the smart woman who fell prey to this plot, than the white dullards who were enlisted yeah. to do it to her. Um, and especially, and I feel what I was saying before, I feel that the, the reason the Killers of the Flower Moon is skewed towards DiCaprio's character is because he's the most famous actor. And Scorsese or the producers or whomever knows that's what people want to see. Right, so, prestige. Yeah, so, exactly. So that's why it feels like it's a movie about the wrong character because the wrong guy is more famous. And I find that incredibly frustrating. And it's also ironic considering what the movie's yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? like, uh, oh, now we got to follow the white guy. But also another character I would have liked to have seen more of instead of Leo was that uh, chief yep. of the tribe. He made he made this beautiful speech, and it, it, it seemed really improvised, where he's, like, talking about the tribe. And, and their, I think they did like, a lot of that. I think they did actually have it's town so meetings and, and film just the town meeting in improv because some of those yeah. were actual, obviously, elders. Um, and, yeah, those scenes... Again, just being exposed to that kind of cultural stuff, I really value. That's that's huge to me. I mean, two of my favorite movies yeah. are because they're Argentinian and Chilean. Um, yeah. But I just feel like Scorsese basically hitched his movie to the wrong wagon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe he needed it to get made, but... Um, I mean, you still got a three-hour runtime. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I would do if I was him. Uh, did you see a movie this year called Starling Girl? The Starling Girl. Wait, the what? The Starling <laughs> Girl. Like a Starling The Starling Girl? No, I did not. Bird. I like that title. Now uh, that do you remember it. in Top Gun Maverick, there was the one guy who was the rear seat operator, and they gave him goofy glasses. I think his name might have even been Bob, uh, like the nerdy pilot yeah. who sits in the back seat. Yeah, he's the only one I remember. Yeah, Bob is an actor named Lewis Pullman. Kelly Wan, I want to tell you something about Lewis Pullman. Lewis Pullman might be the white hottest, sexiest goddamn thing I have seen on screen since Spencer Taylor Clark's hot body. In glass. In glass. That erotic thriller. That Dingus pointed out. Uh, right. So Lewis Pullman in Starling Girl plays seriously this just exuding sexuality, uh, super hot dude. Uh. Similarly, did you see Sharp Objects, that miniseries on HBO with Amy Adams? No, I don't see movies that sound uh, unchild safe. Oh, you would like Sharp, Ob Sharp Objects. Would I? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll watch it's it. It's John Vallette. If you're going to say it with that tone, I'll definitely. Sharp Objects. Well, it's a miniseries. Uh, it's the first thing I saw yeah. where I was like, yeah, I'm down with Amy Adams doing uh, things other than Disney Princess. Like, I loved her in this. She's done other, a lot of good stuff. Amy Adams is cool. Um, I like her in uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Even. It turned me around. I've not seen that, but it. it did turn me around on my opinion of her. But the point of Sharp Objects is... It stars an Australian right. actress named Eliza Scanlon. And Eliza Scanlon is this amazing powerhouse out of Australia. If you don't know her name now, I'm sure you will at some point in the next 10 years. But she plays uh, a 17-year-old 
Uh, and I'm sure the actress is like 23. So you were supposed to be perving over her because she's super hot. So uh -huh. Eliza Scanlon, super hot, but underage. Lewis Pullman, super hot, a dude, granted. They are both members of a very restrictive Christian sect oh. that uh, arranges marriages amongst its children. Like Mara Marcy Marlene Mar Mary. Martha Marcy May Marlene. Uh, yeah. But because they're Christian, Kelly Wand, it doesn't have that alien feel of being some weird cult. Cult. They're very much evangelical Christians. And yeah, to atheists like you and me, they might seem wacky, but I actually grew up around, I went to church camps like that. Like, I, I know that setting. And I know, too, how it's very careful in terms of what it allows with burgeoning sexuality among kids that right, age. Right, right. So, this is, Darling Girl, is one of these forbidden romance movies that has, of course, initially the age difference where she's 17 and I think it even does a weird thing, like pointing out that it's in Kentucky. So she's, right. she is, even though she's not 18, she's above the age of majority. There's nothing illegal going on here, even right. though it's very irresponsible for someone Lewis Pullman's age, he's like 30, to be seducing or to be getting involved with a 17-year-old. Or Elvis's age. And he knows that. Exactly. Right. But... He is actually, and that's one of the points of the movie, is they're trying to be good Christians. It's not trying to denigrate their faith. Um, so there's the tension of their ages, but it's mitigated by pointing out, I think, that she's legal. So instead, it substitutes the tension of their religions so that as you're watching it, because you probably don't share the religion, you can get past that forbidden fruit aspect and you can kind of root for them to get together even while you have reservations about whether it's appropriate for her, whether or not he's doing the best thing, how it affects the people around them. Um, but it's just a classic seduction of a younger woman movie that doesn't do the kind of sleazy things that those movies usually do. I thought hmm. so starling girl now i well usually in those movies the it the young the underage girl is usually played by someone in her mid-20s right 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 Lolita. exactly so it's like it, you totally lose the effect that you want yeah. like we should we'd only feel uncomfortable if it was a real teenager yeah know, right? yeah right. exactly uh but also too i was going to say the kids in holdovers are also in their mid-20s and they're supposed to be every time they denied him a beer i was like really Okay, back to what you know. Saying. I couldn't read that just because of the period, because seventeen-year-olds yeah. would be growing out their sideburns if they could, which is yeah. what made me think that you might be right. I am so bad at kids' ages, by the way. Anybody under forty is the same age to me, unless they're a child. Yeah. No. Pretty much. If you're in your thirties, you might as well be in your twenties. A sixteen-year-old and a twenty-five. Well, sixteen-year-old's a child, is what I'm saying. But once you're over well, 17 18, and 27, uh, yeah, you know what you're saying. Yeah, once you're over right. 18. There's a Goldilocks. So. Yeah, you're, you're between 40 and 18 to my mind. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kelly Wand, I know you did see Royal Hotel. 
Uh, no, I didn't. The follow-up to Kitty Green's uh, Assistant, the movie where Julia Garner endures the horrors of working in an agency in Los Angeles. I didn't see either of them. I don't know what you're talking oh. about. Okay, well, there's a movie called Royal Hotel where uh, oh, uh, Julia Garner is the actress. Uh, and she was in a movie from a couple years ago. Oh, wait, I did see it. It's the Australia thing with the bar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Hugo Weaving. Yeah, yeah, Hugo Elrond. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember what it was <laughs> called. Now I remember. Yeah, yeah, so it's called we, The Royal Hotel, yeah. not to be right. confused with The Royal Oak, which is the Ken Loach movie I was talking about earlier. Uh, but Royal Hotel is a director. That's the girl from Matrix Resol- Re- Resolutions. That's what you call her. I call her the girl from Underwater. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's Kitty Green, who is the director of a movie called The Assistant, which is a kind of yeah. um, horror movie about microaggression, maybe. Uh, but I love The Assistant, mainly because Julia Garner is so good. So, hey, Wait, wait, I saw that uh, too. It's, uh, she works for the um, asshole executive. It's an agency in, in Los Angeles, a talent agency in Los Angeles, right. And she's just yeah, an and she, they keep making her take calls from a, for the wife or something. Yep, it's about the shit work she has okay, to yeah. do and just that nightmare environment. But yeah, she's if, great, Julia Garner. Okay, I know who I'm talking about. Yeah, but hooray it, for podcast. But Kitty Green's movie, The Assistant, plays it almost like a horror movie. Yes. Um, so yes. I feel because Julia Garner is also the lead actress in Kitty Green's next movie. Royal Hotel. Totally different character. It's a different character, but it's almost the same kind of movie where she puts the same type of character through the, not micro, but I would say macro aggressions and just the rowdiness of working in a colorful Australian outback environment. Uh, So it's like the same movie as The Assistant, but a lot more colorful, a lot more given to ruckus behavior and possibly even violence. Uh, and that's what right. I love about Royal Hotel. And yeah, Kelly yeah. Wand, as you mentioned, she brings along the absolutely adorable Jessica Henwick. Oh yum, my yum. God, I love her so much. And She's I, great. I know her from Underwater. She's just adorable, isn't she? Is that the Kristen Stewart one? Kristen Stewart. Oh, Underwater is the Kristen Stewart. Yeah, Underwater horror movie. Yeah. And she's in that too. Oh, uh, poor little Jessica Henwick is in that. I love her. Yeah. She, she's the other. Oh. T.J. Miller, uh, Kristen Stewart, <laughs> Vincent Gallo. Um, shoot, I'm mentioning some of the other men. Um, oh, oh, oh. The, uh, the kid from Short Term 12. Uh, John Gallagher Jr., uh, yeah, Underwater is awesome. I think I would have liked that movie if I'd seen it on a movie screen. Oh, definitely. Like the visuals, yeah. I think, would yeah. have added a lot, but yeah. I rented it. Yeah. All right, Kelly Wan, did you see May, December, the Todd Haynes movie? No, but I like the idea that it's about an age gap love affair, right? No? It's actually kind no. of, it's not the normal, it's not like Starling Girl, May, May December. It's not, it is about an age gap. But like a Richard Gere, uh, Winona Ryder. Right, 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 right. right. It's not, yeah, yeah. Everyone approves of because he's super old. It's not that one, though, but it's, it does have to do with uh, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman playing an oh. actress who's going to be in a movie playing Julianne Moore's character, like who she is. Huh. So okay. she decides to live with her and study her in her home. Uh, 
and it's very much a Todd Haynes like parlor room gods and monsters a little bit well I was going to say parlor room social dysfunction melodrama Uh, Hmm. and it's so like I love Todd Haynes visuals Um, here's my problem with it Julianne Moore she gets Todd Haynes like that's that's a, a proven value Kelly Wand I think Natalie Portman is a little bit too lightweight for a Todd Haynes movie uh, she was good and closer. But she wasn't lightweight in that. Yeah, she was. She was a stripper. Come on. No, she was really good. I mean, she was good Look playing a, strip. a stripper, right? But <laughs> I'm trying to remember a line. I get that. I was gonna name lines like C, but they're all Julia Roberts lines. For fuck's sake! So I guess maybe you're right. Uh, yeah, did some good things. We also both like Godzilla minus one. Yep. Uh, yep. Speaking of, I don't have any other. Oh, go ahead. Speaking of, by the way, what about that movie Reptile with Grant, the Grant Singer, first-time director? Grant it was circling Singer. my list. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Benicio's uh, reunion with Alicia Silverstone. They were such a cute couple yeah. in Reptile. I loved that about that movie. It was the perfect sequel to Excess Baggage. Yep. Uh, and that was um, the movie too. As we were watching it, I texted you thinking it was the David Fincher movie because I knew David Fincher had done some movie about a killer or an assassin or a martyr. <laughs> so I don't know if you... None were... of which are the case. Right. I, mean, I don't know if you remembered that, but I texted you while I was watching it because I started watching it. Something happens in the first five Reptile. minutes of Reptile that I texted you. I don't know what this movie is yet because it just came on Netflix, but you need to see it. So you started watching it. So we're kind of watching it simultaneously. And at a certain point, I texted you, I think this is David Fincher. Do you remember that? Yeah, I forget what happened. Well, and then you texted me back, Grant Singer? And I had no idea why you were saying the word Grant Singer. So I texted you back something like... You thought it was a sentence. Yeah, yeah. I was like, why are you... Am I supposed to know what that means? So, So we had these texts back and forth while we were watching the movie... One of us was stoned. And, and one of us doesn't know how to use text. So <laughs> I think that, yeah. Uh, but that was part of my viewing experience of Reptile, which I treasure. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's good, because I, I liked it too. I Whenever I try to tell people about that movie, I can tell that the title is making them go, oh, it's got a giant snake in it. And then they kind of tune out and stop right, listening right. to me. It, like when I try to describe on cinema at the cinema to people. I, I think you just have to tell them that Reptile is a David Fincher movie that David Fincher didn't actually make. Okay, I'll just say Grant Singer. <laughs> and confuse them thoroughly like you did me. Right. Yeah, right. and I'll go, oh, Stoner's talk. Uh, did you see Talk to Me? Yeah, loved it. I cannot believe yeah, 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 yeah. the guys who made that were a bunch of goofball YouTubers. Uh, but I am so happy for them. Uh you know their first script uh it's just it, it takes a unique approach to a familiar topic you know just this dumb idea what if teenage kids find a powerful cursed object like and it was a party game but i love like that a, approach like a super popular it. one that like on youtube you could watch and then people go there yeah yeah it was great yeah great so point. i thought it was super smart and i, I just love how uh, the ending was great. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I loved the ending. And the, I hadn't seen anyone in the cast before, but an amazing yeah. cast considering they were all basically, they all could have been annoying teens. But instead, yeah. they were fleshed out teenage characters. I liked that a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, it was also one of those movies where it kind of telegraphs that something horrible is about to happen, and it was only, like, exciting instead of, like, oh, okay, the cat's going to come out now, like, in an American. Oh, it definitely avoided a lot of dumb tropes in American horror movies. Like, it, it, it smartly telegraphed something. Like, it's when they're packing it up, like, all right, we're done, and then, like, the kid's all, I want to do it. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. And that kid was a really good actor. He was, he was. And that scene was so horrific, too. Like, that was really shocking, gross stuff. Like, I would would put that up there with stuff that I had to sit through and when evil lurks, yeah. I also like that the main character sucked. Like, I feel like a lot of American horror movies are afraid to do that. Like, oh, it's got to be that. They have to be really sympathetic and, you know. And not do morally bankrupt things or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But instead, it's it's part of the arc and it's part of the story and it's part of why it's. Also, too, if she was if she was totally sympathetic, she wouldn't be into the game. And so the whole thing would fall apart. Like she a a good person wouldn't do what she does. So it's like, yeah, it's great. Loved it. Kelly Wong, were there any movies you didn't get to see? Because I have a couple that I'm concerned about. Um, I didn't see Oppenheimer. You damn fool. So what, what, Did you start it? I did start it. Like I said, I did not want to watch a movie about Killian Murphy uh, getting laid. Did you get to Pew's Badongadongs? Yeah, that's what I, got, I saw all the sex scenes. <laughs> they left. I mean, Florence, Florence Pugh, I love her. I don't need to see her naked, though. She's like a little girl. I feel... Yeah, I want to protect her. It was a thankless. It was a totally thankless. Yeah, role. yeah. I want to carry her around and make sure she's safe. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't see. Do you know that, the, that Sean Durkin, he's the guy who did Martha Marcy May Marlene, and he did mm-hmm. a movie. It was either last year or two years ago that I loved called The Nest. Do you know that he had a new movie out this year? No. It's with Zac Efron, and it's called Iron Claw, and I think it's about wrestling. Right. Ew. Oh, that's what that is. I saw a trailer for it, and it looked good, but not for me. Yeah, but it's Sean Durkin, so I'm going to see it no matter what. It looked like a biopic. Like, Ew, oh, even famous... worse. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know the, the names of wrestler. And it looked, looked like a period piece. That was the part that oh, made me kind of okay. want to see it. Like a period piece sports. I will say, Kelly Wan, this is one of the warning flags for me in a movie and I was keenly aware of it at the beginning of Priscilla. When mm. in the opening credits, you see the subject of the movie as a producer, and you see the movie yeah. script as an adaptation of their memoirs, yeah. I feel like, well, that's going to limit and the you can all, And there's always massive evidence for it in the movie. Yeah. Like that character, if they're in it, it's super sympathetic. And Blonde did not have that issue, I'll say that much. No, but it would have been funny... If at the beginning or the end it said supervising producer, creative consultant, Meryl Monroe. <laughs> or disavowed by the Monroe Somehow. estate. <laughs> yeah. Is there an estate? It's got to be, yeah. Where'd all her money go? But she's... Okay. I mean, isn't there? I don't know. Did she... Kelly Wan, the other movie I really wanted to see, and only because Jeffrey Wright is in it, and I've seen it on some top ten lists, uh, is something called American Fiction. Oh, yeah, I heard about it. And then yeah, the last I mean, one, Jonathan Glazer's new movie is out. I mean, oh, not shit. since Under the Skin has he done a movie. Right. But do he you, makes one a decade. Yeah, but do you know what? It's just it's a freaking Holocaust movie. Ugh. So, let's go. What? I mean... Look, I wouldn't. if you tell me what Birth is about, I wouldn't have been excited. Ooh, I would have been. It. Come on. Reincarnation? 
I just, I just feel like Holocaust movies. I mean, I get it. It was terrible. What's it called? Zone of Interest. Is it on Amazon? No, no, it's still only in theaters. Uh, I believe it was uh. something that was just very briefly released to theaters to be eligible for 2023 Academy Awards. God, thank God I got poor things in. That was, that was a close one. Uh, did you see Friedkin's new movie? Because I didn't. His Kane Mutiny, his last movie before he died. Friedkin died? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my answer to that question. <laughs> um, what was the movie? Kane Mutiny. He did a Kane oh, Mutiny Kane. remake. Yeah. A remake? Yeah. I assume. You know what? I... Who's in it? Who's in it? I had no idea. I, I, I plan to see it. I just haven't. I like the Kane Mutiny, but it's kind of, you know, it's a Bogart. Yeah. Uh, I think of it more as a Gibson. Nerd alert. <laughs> I like movies about crazy sea people or like naval officers. Anthony Hopkins was crazy in that that. Yeah, movie. the bounty. Yeah, it's fucking great. I said, you yeah, go to Bogart, I go to Gibson and Hopkins. Yeah, Captain Queeg. That's Remember to watch your language. Watch your language. Oh, yeah. Let's. Okay, that'd be a good opsis. Ready? Can you? <laughs> so Kelly won. I think we've done it. I think we did our top ten movies. I think with our three hour plus movies we haven't even seen discussing. <laughs> Most of them we have seen. Film. We did discuss some of them that we haven't seen, or. In my case, that I left early, which counts as not having seen them. Uh, but Kelly won. I'm surprised about Oppenheimer. I really thought you'd. Uh... I will at some point. I just, I just, yeah, lost interest. And like I said, a Christopher Nolan biopic is a tough ask for me. I was really baked. And when you go to a movie like Oppenheimer and you're seeing it on a big screen, like it does, like your brain's sort of ready for liking it, maybe. I think I just. Opposed to if you rent it and you're like, oh, Oppenheimer. Like, maybe, like yeah. with. Like, if I went to go see Napoleon at the movie theater, I wouldn't have quit after five minutes. Right. Sure. Shut up, Kelly. Kelly, one final... You know what, though? Yes. The five minutes of Napoleon, I definitely wasn't feeling what Oppenheimer's first five minutes were giving me. So. I'm, I'm guessing there were, there were fewer hot women being uh, being seduced by the, uh, by the general than there were in Oppenheimer. It does open with a hot chick named Marie Antoinette, but I don't want to spoil what happens. Ah, okay. Ready? Anyway. What are we doing? What did I just over? see with Marie Antoinette? Oh my god, Christian I just Dunn's saw something. Biopic. Oh, El Conde. <laughs> One of the conceits in El Conde is that Augusto Pinochet, he's a centuries-old vampire, and everything yeah. he does is because he became a vampire during the French Revolution, and he oh, loathes all right. revolutions, which is why right. he wants... Pinochet was notoriously repressive against leftists and communists, Marxists. Um, so that's the conceit, is that because he was traumatized by the French Revolution, political in yeah. Chile, he just cracked down ruthlessly on anything that was revolutionary. Like, there was almost... It sounds French, too. Um, exactly, right. And that's what they play on. Um, but one of the gags in the movie was that he had absconded from France with Marie Antoinette's head. <laughs> and that was one of the treasures he keeps. Uh, but it's not alive. What if he bites the neck of the severed head? Kelly Wand, if you want Reanimator, Joe I'm Lynch listening. did a movie for you called Suitable Flesh. It has, oh, yeah, I was eyeballing it. It has Heather yeah. Graham and Barbara Crampton, and it is terrible. Oh, shit. But you know what? If that's what you want to do, Kelly Wand, knock well, yourself you out. that about Bottoms. That's so. true. That's very true. Yeah. And many other, and Bo's Afraid, yeah. and many other movies on the <laughs> Well, Kelly Wand, we did it. We did 2023. 
Uh, listeners, thank you so much for sticking it out with us. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Kelly Wand, and we'll see you guys hopefully soon. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, Peter Rignos, my Conan. Go back to Jellystone Castle. Your schnoz is blocking the sun. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have what? Eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Oragai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Would I do Vikander, like sex wise? Maybe. <laughs>